Welcome to episode 76 of Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Azagari. And I'm Caleb Leger. And we are going to be talking about a horror movie today. Of course, you know, bringing Caleb back. Last time with him, we did Rosemary's Baby and had a blast just a couple weeks ago. Today, we're going to be talking about Whatever Happened to Baby Jane from 1962. A very, very good movie. A uh, predecessor to a lot of movies that I like a lot. You know, I think it's... Uh, a movie that was nominated five times and got one win. Uh, got the win for Best Costume Design. Also, Best Lead Actress, Best Supporting Actor, Cinematography, Best Sound. Connor and I's favorite category. Uh, but th- this movie, it's, it's really interesting how, how this one kind of played out for me. This is my first time seeing it. Uh, you know, you see horror movie, psychological horror movie. And you're like, okay, here we go. This is this is one of the best subgenres of all time. You know, is combining the messing with the mind with you know famous uh, horror tropes. But this this movie surprised me with how how original it was and how easy easy it moved through different genres through di- you know messing with different things. So I just wanted to kind of ask you guys. I know Connor, this is your first time as well, and Caleb, I, I believe you've seen this before. How do you guys like? What do you label this movie as? Oh, that's that's an interesting question because I yeah. watching it, I I never really felt horror. But yeah, then again, this was the 60s. This was still, you know, the Hayes Code was still around. It wasn't entirely gone yet. And audiences weren't ready for a lot of things that I'm sure filmmakers wanted to do, you know. And uh, for what they were able to pull off, there is a lot of psychological distress in this film and it's entirely built off these performances. Mm. Uh, so I guess if I, I had to honestly, I would label it as a drama personally, Okay, but I have no qualms with people throwing it into horror if they found something from it. I mean, my, my grandma who I've talked about often on these shows who never watches horror movies won't touch this. She, she saw this a long time ago and said it scared the, the hell out of her. So it really comes down to like, what can you handle? You know? Yeah, I feel that. Caleb, what do you think? Uh, I, it's, I would so call it horror myself. Um, you know, I think it really does lay the groundwork, groundwork for a lot of psychological horror is nowadays back. I mean, this was back in 62. And I think cause like, yeah, it could, it does probably like a lot of movies in that period. It feels tame. It feels not scary right to my audience but to me like the deal of like she's almost trapped in this house and being tormented by her sister mm. is terrifying like you can't escape she can't escape she's literally stuck upstairs so she's not even designed to go down the stairs and that i know alone to me is terrifying that someone that's supposed to love you and take care of you is tormenting you day in and day out yeah yeah i think I think that that idea alone uh, is 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 a is a horror idea, you know. It's a, a like on paper, but it, I, I just don't think uh, putting this movie into a box is like fair to it for how good it is. I, I feel similar about Rosemary's Baby, where it's like, holy shit, there's a lot going on here. But with Baby Jane, you know, it is before that Hayes Code, and it is very much operating, doing different tricks to like kind of a, a you know similar things that psycho does where it's just kind of like, well, 
the, the like less you see the scarier it is type thing and i i love that about this movie i responded to it very quickly and fell in love probably about an hour in uh, as betty davis and joan crawford are just fucking going toe-to-toe which connor you spoke about the performances it's it doesn't feel like a movie because they actually hate each other you know <laughs> they hate each other off screen and on screen clearly and it it becomes this kind of experience with those two. All the all the supporting roles are are, are, are solid, but those two are, are putting on putting on an absolute clinic, in my opinion. And they're they're the they're two of the icons of the silver screen. You know, they're two. Uh, you know, Betty Davis has ten nominations and two wins, and Joan Crawford has three nominations and one win. And they're 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 very well known uh, actresses, and it was cool to see them go toe to toe because you've heard so much about what's gone on off screen uh, with, with them too, that is basically a, a 40 year feud between the two of them. Uh, and there was even that show that came out. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure what it's on. I, I didn't really watch it. I wasn't really interested. Uh, Cause it's that, what's that guy's name that ran it, Connor? Uh, Ryan Murphy. Yeah, there you go. There you go, Caleb. Thank you. Yeah. I'm not a huge fan of his style, so I, I didn't really, didn't really get into that one, but uh, I, I'm very fascinated by these two people and, and finally seeing this movie where they, they actually met on the screen and both played the main characters. It was an absolute blast. Yeah, for sure. And I, I I'm with you on Ryan Murphy. I, I, I watched about as much American horror story as I could handle. And that was about two seasons. Yeah. Uh, and then it was, you know, Jessica Lange versus Susan Sarandon, which was like, Oh, maybe, uh, and then nothing really came of it. They were going to do a second season with somebody else, and then the show just kind of evaporated. Remember that? Yeah, so it was called Feud, right? right? Yeah, it was Feud, and then, and then every season was going to be a different feud throughout pop culture history. Okay, and they started with that, which is like, okay, how do you follow that up? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's crazy. Admittedly, I mean, look, I'm someone that actually really likes American Horror Story. I'm actually up to date on it. Um, but even I can admit, like, Ryan Murphy has really chased the dragon since that success and keeps coming up with a new, like, anthology show, and it usually doesn't go anywhere. Like, I know you had American Crime Story that I heard about for two seasons, and then it just kind of disappeared. Um, so, yeah, I, I didn't watch Feud either, because I'm just good with American Horror Story. But yeah. I, I do remember, like, hearing about, like, what how much these two hated each other in real life. It just right. You can see it in the performances. It's very evident that not only do these characters not like each other, these actresses cannot stand each other, but it creates such an authentic real performance in the movie that has such a level to it, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think, you know, 40 years of, of not liking somebody can, can do that for you can creatively give you those juices in 1933. Uh, Betty Davis was getting her first starring role uh, in a movie called X Lady. Uh, this movie is directed by uh, Joan Crawford's husband at the time, but she, Joan Crawford announced that she was divorcing him the day the movie was supposed to come out. Uh, so this like completely overshadowed Betty Davis's start in Hollywood. Uh, Joan Crawford was already well known through the twenties and the early thirties. And, uh, this is where the feud begins between those two is 
Joan Crawford seemingly overshadowing by, you know, saying this big news about um, divorcing my husband. And this is like, fuck you. This is, this is about to be my, my big break. And you, you it. And, and then it goes from there, just snowballs. Uh, Joan Crawford married an actor that Betty Davis is apparently really into. Franchal Tone is his name. I, I believe that's how you say it. And uh, that gives them bad blood for years, for years, for decades. That's a big reason why they hated each other. When Betty Davis won her first Oscar in the, in the 30s, Joan Crawford famously quoted, was famously quoted saying that she didn't like her dress. She was unimpressed by the performance. Just any little dagger that they could throw at each other, they, they were doing that. And then uh, Joan Crawford at one point tried to make a truce. Uh, she went to uh, Warner Brothers from rival studio MGM. So Warner Brothers is who Betty Davis is working for. So now they work for the same company. And that's when Joan Crawford tried, tried, this is in the early 40s, tried to like say, hey, like let's squash this. You and I could probably work together. And that just, that was not flying with Betty Davis. At this point, she was so angry at her. Uh, there's just nothing that could happen between them two to kind of make up for it. Uh, and then there's a rumor in the fifties that <laughs> Betty Davis thinks that Joan is in love with her. <laughs> and jo- Joan was uh, known for uh, dating men and women throughout her career. She's a, a bisexual actress and was, you know, loud and proud. And at one point was, uh, was quoted uh, talking about Betty Davis saying Frenshaw is not interested in Betty at all, but I wouldn't mind giving her a poke if I was in the right mood. <laughs> just fucking crazy, man. And it just keeps going. And then finally they're in a movie together in 1962. And it's what we're talking about here. And uh, Betty Davis is nominated. Joan Crawford is not, but Betty Davis doesn't win the Oscar. Joan Crawford goes up to, to, to goes up on the stage to accept the Oscar for Anne Bancroft because Anne Bancroft was not there. So, so even when Betty Davis is like, okay, this is my Oscar to win. I'm fucking amazing as baby Jane. Uh, I crushed this role. Uh, still she loses. And not only does she lose, but Joan Crawford accepts the award that we all thought, or everybody thought at the time, 60 years ago was definitely Betty Davis's to win. So fascinating stuff. Uh, you gotta, you gotta love that. And I, I would, I would watch that miniseries or that show if it was just under maybe uh, a different showrunner at this point, maybe, I don't know. Like, like Connor said, Jessica Lang and Susan Sarandon's pretty intriguing. God damn. I don't, I don't know if I could hate somebody for that long to hold a feud for three decades. I mean, God damn. I mean, That's... If mommy dearest is anything to go off of, Sean Crawford wasn't exactly the most stable human being. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Yeah. It's you really hated it's, it's crazy. Yeah. The, these, these two actresses, if they were working today, the way they were acting, they would just get canceled or get kicked out. You know, they wouldn't get hired. You just get, I mean, you just can't act this way now and just basically torment people left and right. Uh, they're huge stars, but I, I think now, you know, if we were, if we were to see like Amy Adams and Kate Blanchett go at each other this way, just like, it just wouldn't fly. People would be like, shut the fuck up. What are you doing? It's weird. You're right. In that in Hollywood, this kind of shit wouldn't fly. But if you look at the music industry, it's nothing oh. but. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, that's what it's all about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially rap. Rap is just known for like I was when Eminem dropped surprise release Kamikaze, and then like every rapper went after him, and it became like the thing again to see who was Eminem going to take down next. Yeah. Yeah. Rap. Yeah. Metal. I was a big metalhead. It's usually the older guys dissing the younger guys, like saying something. Um, like was it recently? MGK, or it's reversed, but MGK just had to say something about Slipknot and how he was happy not to be in his 50s wearing a fucking mask on stage. Yeah, um, like he's making to... fun of Corey Taylor. Like, fuck out of here, dude. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> it'd be one thing if he said that to a younger band wearing mask on stage, but you're saying about Slipknot and Corey Taylor, guys who have been in that industry for 20 plus years, only because yeah. they make that much money off what they do. So. You really can't say shit about them because they are no. successful. Extremely. Yeah. 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 And not, I love the the Nas and Jay-Z. They like fucking hated each other in the late 90s and the 2000s. It, it's fascinating with music with those. They're almost like they're almost like comic book characters, these guys. And you have to like pick a side with one of them. And that's who you're with. That's who you're rolling with. And you have to like, you know, act accordingly. <laughs> it's so it's so silly. It's really childish. Yeah, East Coast versus West Coast rap. Yeah, yeah, classic B.I.G. versus Tupac. Yeah, and Death Row versus all the East Coast guys. Really, yeah, it's it's fun. It's fun stuff to kind of just watch, but it's childish. You know, it's just silly. It's like playground shit. Yeah, well, you know, if we've if history's taught us anything, it's that the more powerful you get, the more childish you become, the more fragile your ego becomes, and you watch this, you know, you, you can see people just go out of their way to be difficult just because mm. they can. And that should, you know, there was no different in the sixties and, you know, early, if anything, early Hollywood, it was way worse. Yeah. 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 Way worse. Like the stuff they're saying while it's outlandish is some of it's probably really true. You know, like uh, Betty Davis at one point said, Oh, well, Jones slept with everybody at MGM. It's like, yeah, that's really mean. But back then, I, like shit was just fucking bonkers. It still is. The movie industry, Hollywood is, is bonkers, but it was even more so back then, especially with companies like MGM and Warner Brothers, these conglomerates who were like, hey, we're, we're going to take control and we're going to be here forever, you know, making movies. And they're just like, like Connor said, egotistical freaks. So it's, it's crazy. But but, you know, we had this movie, you know, with all of that around, you know, there's always like a, a, a picture, a still picture says, you know, has a thousand words, but a movie has millions, you know, millions. And there's always things that branch out of a movie and give it what it is. And with Baby Jane, you have to talk about Betty Davis and Joan Crawford because they're they are, you know, they're very much the film uh, directed by Robert Aldrich, uh, a huge, huge name in the directing business. and a guy who, you know, there's stories about how he had to really manage what's going on, you know, what's going on with these two characters. And uh, Betty Davis had, you know, he had to make a bunch of agreements with her so that she'd be in this movie, of course. And it's just, it's just crazy. It goes on and on and on. But I, with this movie and with it being, you know, uh, we can call it a psychological horror, horror drama, I guess we can call it. Mm -hmm. Um, a family drama. <laughs> uh, I, I wanted I wanted to take the opportunity because all all three of us are big horror fans and different subgenres of of the of that genre at large. 
I wanted to do a top five with you guys about some psychological horror movies. Uh, you know, I don't think any of us have whatever happened to baby Jane in that it's hard for me to exactly place where it is, which is also why I like it so much, but, uh, this is a lot of fun to make for myself. You know, this, this list took me, took me like a week to really make those cuts just, you know, kind of stop lying to myself and say, no, this movie is one of your favorites, dude. Like just put it down. So I, I had a lot of fun battling myself and I'm excited to hear what you guys have. Yeah. I'm, I'm psyched to, kind of see what we all consider to be psychological horror because i you know my definition might be way different than yours which is different than caleb's i think this is going to give us some insight into how we perceive this subgenre but uh real quick i just want to say i would kill to have been a fly on the wall when they went the producers went to betty davis and pitched whatever happened to baby jane with joan crawford Mm. I would love mm. to have heard her be like, the fuck we're doing that. Uh, and then like, yeah. them just keep, you know, giving her, keep adding zeros to the check for her to finally be like, all right, fine. <laughs> but I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Come on, me in the movie. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So good. I love it. That's awesome. Connor, you just, yeah. you just pointed out something that I would, I would like to, before we start and I'll let you start with your number five soon. And then Caleb can go, then I'll go. Uh, okay. Psychological horror. Uh, you know, if I'm just looking at a basic definition on the, on the internet, this is what it says. Psychological horror is a subgenre of horror and psychological fiction with a particular focus on mental, emotional, and psychological states to frighten, disturb, or unsettle its audience. That yeah. can be interpreted, that can be interpreted in a lot of ways and can mean different things to different fans. And what unsettles one person might not unsettle the next. Uh and what seems like a battle within the mind might not seem like a battle within the mind to the next. So I think you're right. I think this is really cool. You have your own interpretations and I would love for you guys to, you know, when you name your movie, name why it fits that for you. You know, why, what, why does it hold that kind of, that kind of uh, a label? So go ahead and start us off, man. Okay. Um, first off, I do want to say that, Anyone who knows me as a film fan knows that I hold two films in this genre in such high esteem, The Shining and The Silence of the Lambs. And at the, <laughs> at the risk of, seeming, of not seeming too predictable, I cut these out of my top five. Okay. Uh, simply because, like, of course they're going to be there. And I feel like we've had that discussion so many times. I didn't want to. I mean, it's okay if you guys have them. I'm not judging or anything. I have a. You're totally judging. Just personally, I was like, I, I've said so much about these films. Let's let's table that for now. I mean, if you guys want to bring them, I, I I would love to hear it from your side if they are in there. But personally, I was just like, yeah, of course they're there. There's these two, and then there's my top five. So okay, so start us off with your number seven. Yeah, basically, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we know we know what 1A and 1B are. Okay. <laughs> so my number five, not counting those films, is uh, 2019's The Lighthouse. Ah, okay. Uh, this is a film that is just steeped in psychological paranoia and, dis and mistrust and not knowing what the fuck's going on, but still enjoying the ride and you're basically just watching these two men drive each other insane 
if that's the interpretation you can take. I think psychological horror is incredibly open to interpretation and you can, everyone perceives these films in a different light. So what I, what I dragged from the lighthouse might not be what you guys pulled from it, but I saw this film as just a wild ride of a journey into mental madness. And uh, that's why it starts out my list. Beautiful. I love it. All right. Well, before I'd say uh, my top five, or my, my number five, um, kind of hitting up on what you said about Baby Chain with psychological horror. What I like about this, and we mentioned earlier, is that Baby Chain, you know, I caught horror because for me, it's overall a psychological horror film, but it plays with genres so, so, so much in it, which just kind of disorients you and throws you off sometimes, especially yeah. when it goes back to being horror on a dime. But with that said, when it came for me with psychological horror, you all know it's my top five. It's very much like there's no flip on a dime. It's intense in your head, mess with your movies. Because it's just it's just how I am. Um, so with that said, my number five is a relatively recent one that I got a con to watch recently because I love it so much. That is Netflix's The Perfection. Ooh. It was a movie that kind of came out of nowhere. No real hype heard a lot about it after it came out from the horror community everyone was freaking yeah. out. this movie's frightening and yeah. yeah i what i love about it so much is that to me this is like almost the purest form of a psychological horror that this really messes with your head not just in like what's like the what's happening with the characters but like the where the story is going the tone like one minute it's one type of film and then it rewinds everything back reveal more about the movie and presents to you something completely different that when it does get to its final reveal it's like somehow the darkest thing they could possibly think of that really makes you feel icky on the inside but you are like at that point going yeah get your revenge get your comeback it this is a movie that like i if you're willing to go down this rabbit hole I highly recommend this to anyone that's looking for something good on Netflix. Check out the yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great pick. I think it's one of the best movies on Netflix like that they've ever done. Um that I've seen. It's so good. And Connor watched it not that long ago and I he he was like, dude, you have to see this movie. And that was like the fourth or fifth time I had heard someone like a specific horror fan kind of rave about this movie. And boy, oh boy, does it does it really get under your skin and kind of make you make everything just fucking grind? Like it's so, it's so good. That's a really good pick. I didn't think about it too much for my list, probably because I I think I want to see it again. You know, that that's one of my favorite things about this this subgenre is the rewatchability of it. You know, with a different perspective each time and how it can grow on you and you fall more in love with that. Like like Caleb, you're saying that kind of revenge trope. Like I love falling more in love with that because you're on that side with the character the whole time. It's really cool. Great pick. I struggled so hard with, with this movie. Like I, I wanted this in my top five so bad. I had to, (laughs) I had to make cuts and it's just the five films I picked resonated with me just a little bit more, but the perfection almost made it. And I'm so glad you picked it, Caleb, because it does, it does deserve to be included in this discussion. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think, I think we've seen, 
you know, that's two movies from 2019 that you guys have named. I think, I think the past 10 years, I think psychological horror has gone to some very interesting places. And I'm, I'm very grateful for that kind of surge in the subgenre because I, I, I eat it up. Even if it's not like great, I still eat it up. It's just fun as fun as shit. And, and I love, I love that, that idea of just fucking with the mind and, that's yeah, that's a really good pick. I, I I love that. I agree with you, Connor. I think it deserves to be brought up in this kind of a discussion. Um, my number five is uh, a movie we talked about two weeks ago. <laughs> it's Rosemary's Baby from 1968. Roman Polanski, Mia Farrow, John Cassavetes, Ruth Gordon. Just uh, just uh, yeah, it's it's perfect to me. Uh, ten out of ten movie. All these movies that I'm gonna name, they're all tens. They're all through the roof kind of movies and. I'm obsessed with all of them and Rosemary's baby. The more and more I think about it, the more and more creepy it gets. And if you want to hear us talk about it, you know, go back to episode 74. I'm not going to share too much of my thoughts on it here because we did that not too long ago, but I didn't want to just be like, Oh, we just talked about this movie. So I'm not going to include it. It is in my top five. That's that's, I can't, I can't deny that. Uh, And it is very hard to place these within these, you know, one through five and, on any given day, Rosemary's Baby could be, could be my answer for number one or two. It's just a just a knockout kind of movie. So a lot of fun. Love it. Connor, what's your number four? I totally agree with you about Rosemary's Baby, but I actually did say we just talked about it two weeks ago, so I'm not going to include it in my top five. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Sounds like I tried to be a little a outside the box. Hmm? I was like, you put a lot of restrictions on yourself there, bud, for a top five. <laughs> I really did, man. This is the most restrictive list I've ever done because I kept I, telling myself, like, yeah, but we did. We've talked about this a lot. You got <laughs> you got in your head about it. You got psychological about it. Yeah. <laughs> this mind fucked me straight up. I've, I've like, never been more, like, frazzled about this thing. Yeah, my number four is Connor figuring out this list. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think the only restriction I put on myself was like there are some movies that show up that I went well that those are ghosts so I'm not going to put that in my thing like if it don't kind of like with anything possibly paranormal I was like eh no I'll say that for a more paranormal thing I think it was like the yeah. only I put it on myself that was a yeah. big one I had yeah I, I, I feel that I, I definitely think you know we're going to do a lot of you know I, I to me filmgasm is, is super young and we're like we're like fucking baby Jane, you know. We're just trying to make our way, and I think I, I think there's going to be top fives and list for for decades for us. So I think I think that's a good idea to put a, you know some kind of restriction on there. But again, I I'm I'm pretty predictable when it comes to some of this stuff, and I just I, I love Rosemary's Baby. I love it so much. <laughs> totally understandable. Um, my number four takes us into uh, the realm of Stephen King. Oh yeah, a fairly underrated and underappreciated Netflix release from 2017, Gerald's oh. Game. Fuck yeah. This is already like one of King's most unsettling books. And the way Mike Flanagan adapted it to film was so smart because he kept that whole like, you know, through line of is she just losing her mind from dehydration or is there something in the room? And you don't know till the end, but just watching her struggle with the, the realization of I'm not getting out of here alive without severe physical trauma <laughs> and just having her watching her cope with that 
is so mind boggling. It really, it draws you in and makes you feel as trapped as, as she is. Uh, it's just such a fantastic movie and so grisly, so uncomfortable. And I, I wish it got more attention. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Uh, this is one of my favorite Stephen King like adaptations. It's just, you know, there's, there's those ones that are kind of fun and there's movies that are really fucking good. And I think Gerald's game is in the latter. I think it's a really fucking good movie. Good pick. Thank you. Yeah, I don't have much to library on that because that's actually the one Mike Flanagan, one of the few Mike Flanagan projects I haven't had a chance to watch yet. Oh, you'd love it, yeah. I probably would. I love Mike Flanagan. I've loved every show he has done on Netflix, though. Yeah, he's yeah. a he's a talent. He's a talented dude right now. That's for sure. Ooh, it always yeah. surprises me when I hear that you haven't seen a horror movie that I've seen because I always just assume you've seen everything. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> I'm glad I built up that reputation at least. <laughs> Love it. Caleb, you're number four. What do you got? Yeah, so my number four. So I remember earlier when I said if it was like paranormal, I would say no. Well, my number four is a Shyamalan movie. And the one that I felt like fit on this list, I didn't do it paranormal in any goddamn way. And that was his, at the time, his comeback split. Oh, boy. This was okay. a movie. I was personally so I was personally on board with Shyamalan again when the visit came out. I was kind of like, okay, he's he's doing something here that tells me he's not making shitty films again. And this is all pre-old. So um and then when I saw the previous this, I was like, oh my god, could he be back? Good are we getting Shyamalan back? And when I went to the see it, I got a movie that I was not anticipating, was not expecting. But was completely engaged the whole time from Shamlon's direction, surprisingly, and not surprisingly, McAvoy's performance. He delivers such a light, lights out performance here. And one I would argue should have been looked at by the Oscars with how he is just switching between personalities yeah. on a dime. It, it's just, I will forever. As far as I'm concerned, this is just top tier Shyamalan. This is what I want, wish he'd do more often. Is films like this and Sixth Sense and Unbreakable stuff like that. Split is one of my personal favorites of his. Yeah, good pick, Connor. I feel like I feel like you thought about this movie. Are we announcing if we have overlap, or are we keeping it to ourselves? Keep it to yourself. But now we know. I, yeah, I, fi- I figured. I figured you love Split, <laughs> so we'll, we'll we'll let you we'll let you share your thoughts later. Uh, this is not in my top five, but I do have a lot of respect for it. It probably is my probably is my second favorite Shyamalan movie. Uh, I'd have to really sit down and think about that, but it's 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 up there. It's definitely one or two, uh, and I, I'm with you. I think uh, Casey Affleck won the Oscar that year for Manchester by the Sea. Andrew Garfield is up for Hacksaw Ridge, Ryan Gosling for La La Land, Viggo Mortensen for Viggo Mortensen for Captain Fantastic, and Denzel Washington for Fences. I think James rivals all five of those performances and could top some of them. Uh, he's he's bonkers good in that movie. I think he's one of the more underappreciated guys. He just blows me away, and I love his I love his uh, his place within the horror genre uh, at this point in his career. Really cool. It's like he has a serious respect for it. 
and has a serious uh, desire to challenge challenge himself with, you know, the vehicle of, of horror. So good pick. So that's that's your number four. Okay, man, this is these are some good fucking movies. Um, my number four is uh, Connor's number five, and that's The Lighthouse from 2019. Good God. Uh, everything you said, Connor, is, is, is so true. Uh, you know, written and directed by uh, Robert Eggers. His brother, Max Eggers, helped him write this, the screenplay. And the screenplay, just, just alone, just the stuff, that the sheer, the sheer goal to, to, to write what they did. And, and then you uh, have, in my opinion, Willem Dafoe, one of our, one of our best people alive right now. He is, he can kind of do anything and work with any kind of director. And he's so fucking good in this movie. And and then, you know, Robert Pattinson, I think Robert Pattinson, you know, uh, with the news of him being the new Batman and people having their issues with it. I would say this is the movie you should watch because the guy can do anything. He's a fucking kind of towering figure, very tall, has this really interesting, you know, voice that he, he can do both. He can do the, you know, his, his English accent, he can do, uh, the American accent really well. He's just fucking incredible. He's, he's a, he's a treasure and he's a guy who's on the rise. Uh, I think those two are, are two of my favorite performances uh, of the past, of, of the last decade of the, of the 2010s. And it's to me, textbook psychological horror. It is exactly what I want from psychological horror where when the movie ends, I am in love, but I don't know why or what I'm in love with. It's, it's is up to so many different interpretations. Connor and I, when we saw it, uh, I think at embassy here in San Antonio, we just sat in the parking lot. We're just kind of laughing. Like, what the fuck was that? Like, what did we watch? But why do I want to immediately just go talk about it on a podcast right now? You know, I have so many things to say about it and it's just gotten better to me. I've seen it now four times and I just, every single time I put it on, I'm just, I, I know I'm in the hands of, one of our young creators and Robert Eggers, who's just, he just doesn't let me down. He hasn't let me down so far. And I love his style. I love his, his input in the horror, you know, the modern horror community is, is really cool. And he's one of my favorite, favorite guys working today. That's kind of, I think about to enter their prime. Uh, I'll be talking about someone else later too, that I, that I also adore. That's kind of a, an up and coming horror director, but he's someone to look out for he's he's if he's done the you know the witch in the lighthouse like it's just kind of like what's next kind of kind of thing so uh love this movie i'm happy to see that you had it as well connor it's it's a it's a 10 out of 10 for me just a fucking lights out lights out uh psychological movie and the black and white great great fucking decision you know it just adds to the weird ass tone that's going on uh connor i think it was you that pointed out that you think it's a kind of a, a parable of some sort uh was that you that said that after we saw it in theaters yeah to me it was a um oh, it's been two years since i thought about that um i think i equated it to uh poseidon yeah yeah you did you did yeah i could tell there was a lot of uh greek mythology influence there uh yeah, this is a uh, it's overdue for another watch. It's been a minute. It's been a minute since I sat down and watched The Lighthouse. So good. Fuck. I love that movie. It's it's one of my favorite day 24 movies just across the board, not just horror, but I love it. Love it so much. Well, I'm glad to see it wasn't just me who spilled his beans. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if I had a steak right now, I would fuck it. <laughs> your farts. I'm tired of your farts. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> but you're oh, fond of me geez. lobster, right? <laughs> God, what a fucking uh, crazy I've, move. Yeah. I've, I've always been with you, Austin. When people are, whenever like the announcement got made that Robert Pattinson's Batman, and was like, really the Twilight guy? I'm like, first off. No, yeah, that was a decade ago. Like, yeah, that was a long time ago. <laughs> Second off, you guys need longer to like actually pay attention to what goes on. The fact that Pattinson absolutely hates hates the Twilight film. He does not like talking about them in interviews. He just causes yeah. them with a passion. So I'm like, so well, good there, because he hates the very thing he was in. And I was like, and you guys need to check out his indie work, because even before Lighthouse, there's some stuff he did indie-wise that he was yeah showing skill as like yeah. this guy is an act is a good actor. Um, and Lighthouse to me just put it on a more mainstream level because I think he has enough of that mainstream level to get a lot of people to see what they put out and i think a lot of people saw it and went oh, okay i get it now and if you yeah. don't what like you said watch the lighthouse you will understand this is the man i think could give us one of the most unexpectedly best batman takes yeah i agree i think he's gonna crush it in that movie i'm i wasn't like crazy about the trailer i thought it was a bit too showy but i'm not a big trailer guy anyway i i think pattinson uh, it's it's the rover. It's it's good time and the lighthouse. Like watch those movies. He's fucking crazy good, and he's he's just kind of flawless to me. Uh, I, I think he has a movie star. He has the look of a movie star. He, he's he kind of reminds me of Brad Pitt in a way where uh, Connor always says that Brad Pitt's a character actor stuck in a movie star's body, and I think Pattinson is like I can do anything. I just I look like you probably want me as the main guy in your movie. He's that good. <laughs> yeah. I I didn't really yeah, I didn't care for him until I saw the lighthouse. Like when I when the news came out, I'm like, oh great. But then I saw the lighthouse <laughs> and I'm like, oh, he's gonna be magnificent. Yeah. Yeah, so, but you remember you remember when Dark Knight came out and everybody was like, He's ledger for Joker? It's like just hold your goddamn horses. Yeah. Hold them. <laughs> you know, <laughs> wait for the movie to come out. <laughs> now, with that said, I did defend the shit out of Jared Leto when Suicide Squad was coming out because I swear to God, guys, he's a good actor. <laughs> but I don't know what the fuck happened with Suicide Squad. I think he is. A, I Brothers. think he is a pretty. He, yeah, it's <laughs> definitely Warner Brothers. I think. I think Jared Leto is a pretty talented guy. Just. He just yeah, he's found himself in the wrong place at the wrong time a few times, and that that's that's unfortunate. That happens though. He is he has put in some great work, but we are going to get some genuinely fantastic work in a few weeks with House of Gucci. I know that. There you go. Yeah. Oh man, that looks that looks like a lot of fun. Every time his name pops up and they show his character, I'm like, that's not Jared Leto. I was like, he yeah. looks nothing yeah. like Jared Leto. Oh boy. Good, 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 good stuff. Um. So that's my three. Yeah, on to your number three. Here we go. Getting okay. getting real serious here. Funny that you should bring up Robert Eggers. Because ah. my number three is one of the most unsettling horror films I've ever watched, The Witch. Let's go. I didn't know you liked The Witch more than The Lighthouse. Fuck yeah. I Dude, The Witch fucked me up. I remember yeah, yeah. the trailer I had problems watch i remember i saw the trailer for the first time at the lake line draft house with you caleb when we went to see something i don't remember what the movie was but the witch trailer came on and all of a sudden i felt wrong like yeah. i felt like i shouldn't be seeing this like this Dirty. isn't right and <laughs> i've I never take a shower that. yeah i've never <laughs> had that feeling before like i felt like we're what we're venturing into where mankind is not meant to tread 
And I've never <laughs> had that experience before. I we we saw it at the movies, and the whole time I'm just like, this isn't right. Like, this is the Puritan times. This is a snapshot of the past. Like, this is not for our eyes. And the, I've never stopped thinking that that movie has burrowed into my mind as just the very definition of psychological horror. Mm. And I love that it's up to interpretation. There may not be a witch. There may not be anything supernatural about this movie at all. It may just be Puritans with overactive imaginations losing their minds. And it's, it remains just one of the most disturbing movies I've ever watched or maybe not. (laughs) Yeah. It's that kind of movie. It's like it, it might be nothing or it might be everything. And I, I've never, it's, it's one of the singular experiences I've ever had. Uh, yeah. So God. definitely. Yeah. So good. He, yeah. Look out for this guy, dude. Eggers, like he, he's redefining like what we see as, you know, modern horror and psychological horror. So I, he's a guy to look out for. And I, I, I love, I love that you picked that man. It's such a, such an intense movie. I like the lighthouse a little bit more, but God, the witch is, is a fantastic, like theatrical, directorial debut like get the fuck out of here it's so aware of what it's trying to do and the fact that it's not this two and a half hour like epic it's pretty short it goes by really fast and you just you have nowhere to go but to just stare at the screen and you're you're kind of fucked and and the and you know black philip is like the, all that whole that all that lore is is fucking frightening <laughs> well the great pick. the fact that they used like actual Puritan journals and stuff to develop the dialogue. Like this is the way they actually did speak. This is, these are things that were said in real history at a time of great strife. And that is super terrifying. Yeah. The part that always fucks me up in that movie is um, towards the end when black Phillip changes yeah you do not see anything besides hands but all you hear is the voice it's the creepiest voice and the whole like what dost thou want it's like yeah like i have i have never been more certain watching a movie that i was hearing the voice of the devil yeah (laughs) yeah jesus christ man jesus wept (laughs) oh that is one of the most frightening films i've ever watched yeah the witch i'll never get over that movie yeah i love it i love it so much we did that right we did that movie yeah it was an early one that was in like the first okay. 20 yeah oh, okay yeah i mean yeah why not redo it it's so good yeah fuck yeah <laughs> awesome caleb what's your number three this is great <laughs> so my number three is actually uh on a preface with like not only does it kind of touch on what i talked about baby jane and that it does kind of play with other genres still super serious genres but genres it's one of two films in this particular subgenre we're talking about that I've always had to fight with people that it is a fucking horror movie, regardless of you not liking horror, then watching this movie and going, oh my God, I watched horror. It's not horror. It's not. It's not. Doing that move, it's a horror movie. <laughs> that said, probably one of the most fucked up David Fincher films I've ever seen. Oh, Number three, seven... Fuck yes. <laughs> Let's go. This is a film that I had heard about so much. It was hyped to me by my own parents about like, oh, there's just so much messed up shit in here. 
And, you know, in a weird way, there is, but there isn't. Because you never fully see the stuff this man is doing to people. But when they describe it, when they are talking about it, it's like, oh my, to this day, I look, I'm a, I'm a dude. But when they are describing the razor bladed dildo in graphic detail, even I'm just like, oh God, that hurts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it doesn't sound fun. And this, the way this film just make the whole time you're on the edge of your seat about who the fuck is this guy? Are they ever going to find him? And then when that it gets to that end. And look, we I understand the allegations going on with Kevin Spacey and everything that's going on there. In this movie, though, God is he good when he pops up on screen to announce what he did. And that whole like twist ending with you know who his last sin he takes care of. Just it's like a gut punch. It's a movie that yeah. just devastates you at the end and it takes so long to get this movie out of your head because you're just like you don't it it just doesn't leave you and then like the little details Spencer did like how it's constantly raining until the end of the movie when he's caught then it stops raining yeah so good god seven's awesome seven's like responsible for probably introducing me to this subgenre and introducing me to these like kind of ideas of What's really going on? Is is this movie this good and this dark at the same time? You know, is it really just captivating me like this? While, like you said, you know, they're use, utilizing the seven deadly sins for these murders, and it's just so much going on inside of it. And and you know, it's it's straight up David Fincher. You know, it's not fucking around at all. It's very very serious. The directing is like out of this world. Like you said about the, I love that, 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 that stuff with the rain. I've always fallen in love with stuff like that in Fincher's movies where it's right in front of you, but you don't really know it until it's, until you're told. And he's so good at that. He's so good at lighting. Uh, whether something good or bad is happening, he's like, I'm going to use, I'm going to, I'm going to tint it with yellow. Then I'm going to tint it with blue, you know, and these different things he does with his movies. And seven is, you know, what he would call his first movie, you know, cause he's not really a uh, fond of his work on, on alien three. So seven's kind of like, well, this is, this is really me coming out and showing what I really have. If I have full control and it's a damn good movie. Oh, dude, for me. Yeah. It's the, it's the razor dildo, but it's also, it's the way Leland Orser describes it. The, <laughs> the, the, the fear, the disgust, the, the nightmares behind his eyes in that bit is so haunting. Um, that bit. And then of course, you know, the, the, um, the corpse that's not dead. <laughs> AK one, like the best jump scares. Cause that, that got me so good. Oh yeah. Still does. It's the pine tree air fresheners everywhere. It's like, why are there? Why is this place covered in air fresheners? <laughs> and then you realize, and you're like, God damn! Uh, yeah, Seven's a brilliant movie. Yeah, excellent, excellent pick. I'm, yeah, I figured that was coming up at some point because it's a, it's a '90s staple. It's a Fincher staple. It's a Brad Pitt staple, and it's a psychological staple for sure. Uh, this next one for me, my number three. Um, God, I love this movie so much. Um, it's a 
an all an all timer in the in the horror community, uh, in the science fiction community, and for me, psychologically, just just perfect, perfect in the way that it develops its characters and has them start fucking arguing and fighting with each other. Uh, it's 1982's The Thing. <laughs> wow. God, uh, John Carpenter, one of the masters, uh, one of my at this point one of my favorite directors of all time he's he's just he's perfect at sometimes some of his movies just don't they don't have a weak point and the thing i initially didn't think about it for this at all because i would think more it's kind of like you know got it's got monster shit going on it's got you know the science fiction stuff going on it's got some action in it you know it's just super super good and super uh the the screenplay is really tight and really figures out what it wants to do and what what they want to say but goddamn, if you put yourself in the shoes of these people, it is a, a, a situation that will test you, test your mind, test your will to uh, hear people out, whether they're lying or not. And, you know, you're fucking testing each other. And I love those scenes when they're all waiting. They're all waiting to see to see what's going to happen. You know, which which one of us is next? <laughs> you know? I love that idea. I love the idea of who is next, who who's going to get fucked next, you know, uh, who's about to just die. Who's about to become a monster and kill the rest of or try to kill the rest of us. I love that idea. I love when that's used in horror, but with John Carpenter, he's just so goddamn good at filmmaking that the thing goes beyond, goes, goes well beyond what you would think from, from a horror movie. You know, this is one of the best movies of the eighties. The thing, the thing is crazy, crazy good. And it's, too good to box in you know it's i i think you know there's people out there who probably wouldn't respond to the lighthouse uh or you know some of the other movies we've talked about but the thing how can you not like the thing it's just a, it's a perfect movie a quintessential 80s hit you have to see it uh connor you when you worked with me you realized i hadn't seen it yet and this is just like three years ago and you were like come on man and the, the first thing i did when i got home was i I, you know, I got a six pack of beer and went home and I was like, I'm just going to sit down. I'm going to watch the fucking thing. You know, it's time. It's time to finally do this. And it was one of those experiences where you're like, oh, everybody is right. (laughs) uh, You know, sometimes you, you don't adore a movie uh, that's kind of critically acclaimed and you're like, what's the big deal? But the thing went through that, you know, my expectations were at 10 and it kind of went, you know, turned it up to 11 type thing. And I just, I, I love it so much. I, I, I watch it like all the time. It's one of those that I just put on if I'm bored or if I can't sleep, it's like, let's watch the fucking thing and get real weird. <laughs> I love it so much. And I know you guys probably feel similarly about it, but I'm not sure if you all see it as psychological or not. You know, I think that could be debated. Well, you're certainly preaching to the choir. Uh, we, um, we love the thing. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. you are right. Hmm. I said, oh yeah, I love this movie. Yeah, man. I I did not think of this as psychological horror, but hearing you describe it, it's totally psychological horror. And I've never really put you know that on this film. And that's fucking amazing that you you found that in the thing. That's really cool. And now I have something to look for the next time I watch this movie. Uh yeah, That's watch great. Kurt Russell's face. He's like, where am I? <laughs> yeah, it's What's all about paranoia on? and fear. And yeah, it's that's fantastic. Well, yeah. well said. Great movie. If you haven't seen it, you know, just 
I, you know, don't even listen to the rest of the episode. Just fucking go watch the thing. It really is such a treat. It's it, all these movies could kind of rotate, but the thing truly, I really, it really almost was my number one. I just, I just am blown away by it. These other two movies I feel a little bit closer to, I think, but Jesus Christ, as a movie, I just doesn't get, it doesn't get any better. And, and, you know, I always have to mention probably my favorite one, two from a director with like one year after the other is escape from New York in the thing, 1981, 1982, just like, get the fuck out. You can't beat Kurt Russell destroying in both. Like one of the coolest double features you could you can put yourself through. And guys just can't do that. Directors just can't. You can't do that. You can't masterfully make these two masterpieces a year apart. Just you, you can't. People don't do that. I'm a I'm a big fan of all three of the movies that they collaborated on. Escape from New York, the thing and Big Trouble in Little China. I Me too. All three of their collaborations. Me too. Yeah, Big Trouble in Little China is I think right under those two but god it's so good as well they're all so entertaining yeah and i'm you know i i'm with you uh the one, so i i've always felt the thing is very much psychological horror film again just because of the restrictions i placed on myself when i did this i was yeah. like well we know it's an alien if you see yeah it. so I was like i'll go on and leave this one out but no you're right the way cochran is just one the to me has always been one of the best directors we've ever had in american cinema and a lot of that is on display in the thing from the way he ratchets up. That yeah. Character, the way he gets you just as involved. Because it's to me, it's kind of like when I, we were talking about Descent, right? And you felt the claustrophobia and the Descent in mm. the direction. You feel the paranoia, thanks to Sean uh, Coffner's direction. And you, it, all the way to the end, it doesn't let up for a second. Even that ending is one of the best endings to me in, oh, yeah. in history. And you're sitting there going, well... Are one of you one of you the thing? Are you both? Yeah, yeah. Wait, what? No, don't end yet. Oh man, so good. Yeah, and yeah, and it's all you know. In the very beginning of the movie, it's just like what? Like Carpenter's so fucking good at putting you. You're just you're in. You're locked in. Like you're buckled up before you're even on the ride. You're just this is what's happening. Like get in the fucking seat buy the ticket take the ride and he's yeah he's one of the best man i love that guy to death i i love the you know of course i love halloween assault on precinct 13 jesus christ like <laughs> yeah the guy is just uh, an absolute legend one of one of one of the most important american filmmakers to me and one of the best not you know he does both he's really good but he's also you have to see his work yeah and if you know whatever they're sampling in the film you actually know the whole film. Fun little fact with the thing. Exactly. If you have, if you, yeah, if you see, if you have the subtitles or, or trying to translate what they're saying, yeah, you're like, oh, fuck. There's, it's just a warning. It's a warning to the audience and to the people in the movie. <laughs> I just, uh, I mean, I've always appreciated the, you know, the paranoia, paranoia uh, isolation aspect of the thing. I think just for me, it's such a brilliant creature feature above all else. Yeah. That, yeah that's what i you know that's what i paid attention to the most but yeah i I do i do definitely agree it's psychological horror now and also three collaborations gentlemen i'm not talking about don't you dare bring up that horrendous sequel it happened (sighs) therefore it it's gonna yeah for los angeles los angeles all right so three movies together (laughs) Escape from L.A., Mr. Cuervo Jones. Oh, what's he, 
What's his face? I don't know what you're talking about. You shut your mouth. I it, it grows on me. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> If you know it's not going to be good, you know, and you're like, this is it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. You just you just have some fun with it. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> so three perfect collaborations together. There you go. Yeah. And you know, you know who does the fucking music for the thing? Fucking Ennio Morricone, a guy you know who we obviously respect on this show, Oscar Sunday, and our our music award is named after him. So yeah, just yeah, great movie. It's Morricone doing the most Carpenter score ever. Yeah. Like yeah. it might as well have been Carpenter, but if Morricone wants to score your movie, you don't fucking say no. Yeah, you say, come on, come on on board. Yeah, that's awesome. Love uh, it. All right, so down to our top twos. Yeah. My number two is one uh, we've already brought up. Uh, that is M. Night Shyamalan's comeback film, Split. Oh, there we go. Uh, yeah, like like you, Caleb, I went into this thing not expecting this to be as mind-blowing as it was. And uh, James McAvoy's performance in this will define his career. I mean, Jesus Christ. To play like... 15, 16 different personalities that are all distinct, and you can tell which one just by looking at him. Oh my God. I mean, yeah, there's few actors ever who could accomplish that. It's not, it's not just because it's not just his voice, the way, like you said, the way he postures himself. Yeah. And this and carries himself with each personality goes with goes with the voice it's like it's not just a voice it's a character in and of itself and it shows in like his performance and it's just it's it's brilliant that scene where he's in therapy and the therapist figures out that it's one personality impersonating another person another personality what kind of fucking rabbit hole yeah <laughs> you have to go down to even come up with that um where, where is this guy? Where's the M. Night Shyamalan who shows up every 10 years with a gem? <laughs> I, I don't know. But um, yeah, the way this film uh, uses multiple personality disorder as like a trap for these women who are just anticipating the rise of the beast, whoever this might be. And it's really, it gets in your head and you start, you know, identifying the personalities and start relating to some of them and fearing the other ones. And then the big reveal that it's a fucking secret sequel to unbreakable. I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> what, what is this movie? Yeah. This, like, uh, so yeah, I just, I have a lot of affinity for split. It was a film I didn't expect to like and ended up just adoring. Uh, yeah. Very cool. And it ends up being your number two. That's awesome. <laughs> so that was your number two. And uh, Caleb, that was your number four, right? Yes, that was my number four. Nice. All right. I like it. I like it. Uh, so, Caleb, what's your number two? My number two, I want to preface as well with I understand what you may think the sequels are and what subgenre this kickstarted in the early 2000s. But the first film, is not what the sequels were. It, it's been a, one of my personal favorites. It's a top 10 for me. That is 2004's If It's Halloween, It Must Be Motherfucking Saw. Hey, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Again, look, I know that the sequels and really most of Hostel started what we call the torture porn subgenre. 
of horror, but this one is, I always try to get people to be like, look, you do not have to watch sequels, but watch the first one because it's much more psychological. The only bit of on-screen violence for like a second, one fucking second, is when he cuts his foot off towards the end. Everything else is talked about. It is implied, much like Seven, right? It's just kind of talked about or quickly shown for you just to get enough. But most of the story is, why are they in this bathroom? How the fuck did they get out of this bathroom? And who put them there? And to this day, it doesn't matter how many times I've seen it, that's one of the best fucking twist endings in horror history. I will never forget watching this for the first time as a kid. And the dead body in the fucking bathroom gets up. And you're like, what? wait, what? Why? No, he was dead. No, no more. <laughs> and, he's, and he says that iconic line, game over, and shuts the door to his screams. And the screams continue as the credits roll. This is a movie. This is probably the one Saw film, I would legit say, is, so, is actually like horrifying. Because again, the sequels focus more on the the trap, so they just became more fun. But this one to me is legitimately horrifying at the thought of like someone doing this to you because they think that you're not good enough to live in the society, that you've done something wrong enough to have to test yourself. And many times in this movie and the sequels, I've never sitting there going, Could I do this? Could, could would I be able to? Do something like this myself just for that chance to live it i i could go on about solidarity i fucking adore the living shit out of this movie yeah hey, yeah that's awesome i love that i figured i know you, you you're 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 a huge fan of that one and i figured it would come up here because yeah i i agree with you when we did it on the show uh me connor and josh it was i hadn't seen it for a little bit and that's what i took away most from it was that it's kind of kind of a masterclass in in the horror genre that it it is it is very scary and not for the not for the weak stomach people out there you know who are just kind of like oh i just want to watch something that's going to be entertaining and have a few jump scares it's it really sits with you and makes you really think and i think the biggest advantage it has over some other movies is when you place yourself in a in a situation with saw like you said, could I do this just for a chance to live? Could I, you know, cut a limb off? Could I reconcile with, wait, why am I here? What did I do wrong? All of those things. I think any person with a pulse would respond to just because it's, you can't help but put yourself in that situation. And because of the, the film itself before all the, you know, the sequels come out, you know, Saw is very like nitty gritty and is very practical and, it, with these actors that at the time we didn't really know at all, aside from Glover, you're just kind of like, fuck, you really, you really feel that. Cause these are not big time movie people yet. And it's just, it's like, you're there. It's like, you're just this normal average dude in this situation. And it, it, it will fuck with you. So that's a great pick. It definitely messes with the head. <laughs> Holy shit. I agree with you on all counts, except Carrie Elwes was, a big he was you know he was the prince oh, of pride robin hood like he was he was big he was uh, yeah big enough i guess to be he was big to me <laughs> but winnell but you know winnell not 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 at all you know yeah um yeah i'm with you caleb uh the first saw is diehard psychological horror it's all about 
atmosphere and why are they here and how do they get out and who put them here? It's very much a film built on questions. And yeah, I think, you know, the rest of the films got out of hand, if you will, with their, um, their traps and the blood and the gore, but it's, they're all fucking fun movies. Um, Yeah, I I know that. You don't have to tell me that. I know that. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, I've, I didn't even think about that one, but yeah, I'm surprised it's not your number one. I know that's like one of your favorite movies. Uh, So I'm very curious what you got at the top of this list. Yeah, me too. That's that's exactly what I was thinking because he said this is a top ten all time. I'm like, wait a minute, that means number one's probably a top ten all time. Fuck yeah, you gotta love that. Yeah, it look, I was really debating on uh, this one. What I put as number one, I was like, oh man, I both like really love these movies. Yeah, it, it did hurt a little bit to put Saul here because I'm like, God, I just I've been I've been in love with this series since I was a kid. It's tattooed on my arm. I <laughs> this is one of my go to series, man, and this. To me, I, I said it way back when we were talking about James Bond. You can always tell when that man is directing one of mm. his franchises, right? You can tell he's directing this movie. You can tell he's directing Insidious One. You can tell he's directing the first two Conjurings. It's just he knows how to put a stamp on it. And just to see, and like especially now in his career, right, to be able to see a movie like what he gave us with Malignant recently, and mm. you go all the way back to the beginning and you watch this film, and it's like you can, to an extent, see that evolution, and like a lot of what you find in this, you can see carried over into his later movies. It's just, yeah, I, yeah I, this movie is so fucking awesome to me. Fuck yeah! What a crazy fifteen-year or a uh, sixteen-year, seventeen-year Jesus jaunt from Saw to Malignant. Holy hell! <laughs> it's uh, both great movies. So love Malignant. That was a that was a fun one. Oh yeah. I I really like that movie. I can't wait to pick it up and see if it's out on a 4K or Blu-ray yet. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely one I want on the shelf as well. All right, so we're on my number two here before we get to our, our number ones. Uh, I, I, uh, this, is a, this is as Austin Johnson as it gets, 2018, Hereditary, directed by Ari Aster. Uh, masterpiece. What, you know, what, what can you really say about this movie? It's just perfect. A complete mind fuck of a movie. Uh, I've seen it so many times, and every time I take something away, something new, and you can follow different perspectives. You know, you could be with you know, be with the mother, be with Tony Collette, be with the the son. You can watch it from the daughter Charlie's point of view. You can watch it from the from Gabriel Byrne's point of view, who is just like, what is happening? <laughs> uh, th- this one, this one is uh to me is the best. 2010s uh, horror movie uh, across the board. I'm, I just, I am obsessed with it. When I first saw it in theaters, I just lost, lost my mind. You know, I couldn't believe that this got made. I couldn't believe that it had these incredible performers inside of it. I couldn't believe that this was Ari Aster's directorial debut for, for the big screen. Uh, I had to know everything I could about him, you know, went back and watched you know, strange thing about the Johnsons and I got super amped up for Midsommar in 2019. And I just, I'm, I'm all about him, him and Eggers to me. And just, and I think Jordan Peele is probably in that, in that group as well. Just they're, they're coming, you know, they're, they're really coming. I think guys like Mike Flanagan are very established. These guys are still kind of making their way, making their names and hereditary. The reason I, 
have it here. And I mean, it, uh, most, most places and most lists, most things will say, even on like its basic Wikipedia page, it says Hereditary is a 2018 psychological horror film directed by Ari Aster. I think, I think most people would consider it to just be a textbook horror movie, but boy, oh boy, is it really trying to get inside your head and make you think about what's really going on as it introduces the character uh, and Dowd's character, Joan, you just, you, it really gets flipped upside down. Uh, and by the end of it, you're, you just don't know whose hands you're in. You know, you're like, wait a minute. Am I now with payment? Okay. All hail payment, I guess. <laughs> I guess that's what we're doing. It, it turns so quickly, you know, a few different times. It just on a dime. It's just like, Oh yeah, we're, we're about to scare the shit out of you and give you this crazy stuff. I love that about it. I also love that it's just it's paying homage over and over to to the genre. Uh, it has the you know the awesome the awesome shot of Tony Collette going into Ann Dowd's apartment and the camera's upside down. Then it flips up towards goes from the ceiling down to where Tony Collette is walking, and you're like, oh, this is unsettling. Uh, it does stuff with their the house that they live in, where the rooms change and the the kind of the map of the house never makes sense it's like wait a minute they were just down the hall the hall can't be that long you know like i thought this room was over here i thought that i thought downstairs was over here i love that it does that it plays with that a lot and i i think it's super aware of what it's trying to respect but also make new you know uh and tony collette what on earth (laughs) she's 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 lights out just like uh i think willem dafoe and pattinson are putting in two of the best performances from from the decade so is tony clyde and hereditary it is it is worthwhile just to see her just at work she normally doesn't do movies this crazy you know this is not her cup of tea this is not this is not what she does but she read the screenplay and was like whoa this is a this is a family drama gone wrong <laughs> and I, I love that about it too it's it's one i could kind of rave about forever similar to to you caleb with saw it's just, it's just Firmly in my heart, firmly. I was like a hundred percent sure this was your number one, so I'm now I'm surprised you both did it to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, if it. I hadn't, <laughs> if I hadn't excluded uh, Supernatural from my selection process, Hereditary absolutely would have been my number one. Yeah, um, God, so good. <laughs> It's a brilliant movie. Uh, gets scarier every time I watch it. It just lulls you into this sense of distress you can't seem to escape from. It makes yeah. you see shadows all over the place. And I just, it's, it floored me and continues to floor me. Uh, yeah, I, I knew it was going to be on your list. I'm glad it was. Yeah, yeah, it, it was probably the first one I thought about yeah. when I thought about doing this exercise. It's like, well, hereditary, I mean, you know, like one of my, one of my favorite theater experiences, one of my favorite just movies period that I've ever seen. You know, I just, I I love it so, so much. And I stand, stand by Tony Collette should have, should have won that Oscar. James McAvoy, 2016, Tony Collette, 2018. Yes. I was was about to say another case where like, just because it was genre, they, I guess just didn't want to do it, but she, yeah, I'm just like McAvoy. She should have at least got a nomination. Yeah, what on earth? Yeah, because to this day, as much as I actually really do like this movie, 
it's not a it's not a horrific scene that's my favorite scene in this movie it's the scene at dinner when she oh. loads on her son and it's just like the that little moment of performance just gets me every time it's like just the way she slams and Sandra goes i am your mother you do yeah. not and she goes off on him and kind of lays it out like you did what you did we can't get our daughter back and you can say sorry all you want, but you did this. And you have to live with them. There's nothing I can do to help you with that. It's just, it's, it's a very powerful scene. It's, I, yeah, it, this should have at least been a nomination, if not a downright win, because she is so goddamn good in this movie. Um, yeah, I agree. And, and you know, even talk, thinking about Spears, the way Eggers... Uh, Sorry, Aster. Now I'm mixing my guys up. <laughs> yeah. Aster does the scares in this. It's not jump scares. It's not cheap jump scares. It's things lurking in the background that yeah. you notice on repeat viewings as you were watching. And um, one of the best ones to me was when um, towards the end, when uh, the son's exploring the house, and you can see just in the corner his his mom scaring yeah. him on the ceiling, and you're just like, well, what the fuck is that? Until finally. <laughs> The the payoff is she just burst out of the darkness out of nowhere and it gets you because you already saw so many times of like this fleeting background image to freak you out. And Ugh. yeah, this this is a movie that just gets under your skin. It and like I said, it's a family trauma gone horrendously wrong. Yeah, yeah. God, I love it. Yeah, that dinner scene is is epic. I love when she's like making because she makes those models, you know. I love when she's making the model of the accident and Gabrielle Byrne, her husband's like, what are you doing? What would you think if Peter saw this? And she's like, it's from a neutral perspective. <laughs> You're like, Oh my God, everybody's fucked. <laughs> like, you guys, you guys are not an operating family at this point. Uh, and then, and Dowd, everything she does in that movie uh, when she's, she's like, Oh, Louie, Louie, Louie. <laughs> she's like, what the fuck? So creepy. So creepy. And when she's, uh, uh, Peter's at school eating lunch and she's like off in the distance and you're just like, oh, this lady gives me the EBGBs. I, I love it. It gives me the chills just kind of thinking about it. Love that movie so much. For me, nothing nothing beats uh, Peter driving home after the accident. Oh, yeah. And then just going to bed. Yeah. And then Tony Collette waking up to find the carnage and realizing what happened and just hearing her like heart wrenching screams in the background while he just stares into space. I mean, fuck man. I, it was too real. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that was, that was the gene, the genius of hereditary, especially if you got to see it when it was coming out in theaters and when it was on its initial wave. And then it went on to, it went on to Amazon prime and people were like, yo, you have to see this movie. Is, is that that shock that you get about 40 minutes in when Charlie dies? You're like, wait, what? I thought the movie was about her. What the fuck is going on? That I love that misdirection. I think that was genius. And I think in Midsommar, where it failed was it was not. I love that movie, but I think where it goes wrong with a lot of people. And I think, Connor, I think you, you're not a huge fan of that one. I think it misdirected in the wrong way, misguided in the wrong way. It made you believe it was going to be one thing in the, in the trailer and then it was something totally different, but it didn't totally work for everybody. It didn't follow through. 
with hereditary that shit just worked perfectly <laughs> it was like oh here here this this young girl is on the poster she's going to be the star of the movie and she dies in this horrific way and you're you're just thrown off the rest of the movie you're just you're just thrown off you can't you never get your footing after that you're like ah oh, fuck like that was so dark but this family just just like normal life you have to keep moving yeah yeah you're right i i'm usually kind of pissed when a trailer lies to me but you're right hereditary like it needed to you it had to get you in the room yes yeah it was the movie equivalent of like a timeshare you didn't want but it ended up being like the greatest vacation home you've ever had that's exactly right (laughs) oh that's perfect man all right yeah i could go on about hereditary for another hour uh but let's move on connor what's your number one oh my number one it's uh it fluctuated between so many movies. Uh, Seven was there. Uh, the Shining, obviously, before I had to make that declaration. Uh, but ultimately, I went with a film that a lot of people don't even consider horror that I really got reintroduced to because of how much you love it, Austin. Um, it's a true story. And the, the way it's done tells you kind of an American boogeyman who was never caught. And that's 2007's Zodiac. (laughs) Get the fuck out. (laughs) Oh my God. Oh Jesus. I didn't know this was going to be fair game. (laughs) I, that movie is mind bendingly scary considering that, you know, they never got the guy. There's moments in that movie that are unnerving as fuck. The way it makes everybody unravel. Everyone who gets involved in the Zodiac investigation falls the fuck apart because yeah. it's a never-ending nightmare. Like nightmare <laughs> and a mission that will never end, that will never be solved because there's just not enough to go on. And it, it's, you know, it's John Carroll Lynch's performance. It's Jake Gyllenhaal's performance. It's the it's Donovan's fucking hurdy-gurdy, man. It's everything mm. about that movie is so well-structured to just get under your skin and scare you. And I, it ended up being an absolutely mesmerizing rewatch when we did it for the show a couple of years ago. And I'm so glad I've rediscovered a love of this movie because I think it's one of the most brilliant psychological horror films of all time. That's disguised as a crime drama and a biopic, which is just great because I think good psychological horror doesn't tell you it's psychological horror until you're already Mm. well involved for like to leave. (laughs) Yeah. Oh boy. What a pick. What a pick. Zodiac is. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) It might be my favorite movie that we've talked about today. Uh, Love, love, love Zodiac. I, I thought about it, but I was like, oh, shit. Am I going to get shit for picking this movie? <laughs> but no, turns out I wouldn't have. Uh, Christ, great pick. Great pick. Zodiac is, uh, it's so many things. Above all, it's, it's, it is a psychological mindfucker. And it's, it's Fincher's best movie. Let's be honest with ourselves. It's his best movie. Yeah, I'm not going to argue that. I love the social network. I adore it. I think it's a feat. And I think it's a movie that everybody is going to enjoy. It's wicked entertaining. It somehow does everything it does in two hours. But Zodiac is, a, is like, what? That is an accomplishment. Doing that movie is an accomplishment. It took a lot of, lot of work to do that movie. Fuck yeah. 
Yeah, and at least we got the whole movie. I'm like the third season of Mindhunter. I'm so fucking waiting on. Not bitter. Um, yeah, I understand that. Fincher just does too much, man. He's too he's too eclectic. He does too many things where it's like, dude, just make Mindhunter season three. This is what everybody wants, and he's like, I think I'm gonna make Mank. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would be this. So it's like. You see, Fincher, what I didn't hear you say was Mindhunter season three. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's one of the best shows I think uh, that's like ever existed. Uh, and if we were doing a, a TV show list along these lines, I think Mindhunter would probably pop up. Uh, he's, yeah, he's a freak. David Fincher is a freak of nature. And Zodiac is like two and a half hours of just glory. And one of my favorite endings ever is, you know, Baker Street playing and John Carroll Lynch and Jake Gyllenhaal locking eyes and you're like, oh, we're not going to figure this out, are we? <laughs> no, but but you don't love- feel like you lost out on anything. That's the thing. No, no, it's all journey. It's all about the journey with Fincher. He's like, every second is going to count, even if you yeah. don't have, if even if I don't nail any sort of landing because I don't need to because the story is open to open to so many different things. Social Network, brilliant fucking ending. Like he's so good at saying. Let's let this thing just breathe and be eternal. It doesn't need to come to an, a, an abrupt end. Let's let the real story just live. And God, he's good at that. He's so good at that. Especially with Zodiac, I think it's like the small, smallest way you can end a film because they haven't got, unless you're case busters, apparently. Yeah. You haven't, yeah. <laughs> you, haven't you know, we don't know who the fuck the Zodiac killer is. So leaving it to that point. And as, at least even the guy that they had, you know, John Carroll Lynch, who did play the most suspected person hmm. of being the Zodiac Killer. Like, they never confirm it. They smiley don't confirm it. They just make you – they do. They go by what's already been talked about, what we already know, which is he is the most suspected person, but we still don't even know if he was. Yeah. God, great pick, Connor. That's thinking outside the box for sure. And uh, a movie that – yeah, I legitimately might like more than the five movies I have written down. <laughs> love, Always gonna, love, love, love Zodiac. The rules are only, you know, as rigid as you interpret them to be. <laughs> 100%. You're right. You're right. And it's, yeah, it's, it's as psychological as you can get. When you, you pointed out every character that tries just is going to fail miserably. Uh, like Robert Downey Jr. is just like, fuck. <laughs> He's just like hanging out in a shack. Well, everybody who tries to unravel this mystery, it becomes their obsession. They lose their job. They lose their family. This becomes all they have. And that happens across the whole movie to multiple characters. Mm. It's it's a black hole, the Zodiac, and it still is. We'll never, ever know definitively who killed those people. The Zodiac yeah. will be the biggest American mystery of the 20th century. Yeah. And and kill, killing. Talk about killing. What To me... There's, there's, you know, there's some, there's some like, gruesome death that we've all seen on screen, but when you make it as realistic as that scene at the lake, like, whoa, 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 you know, this it's like 30 minutes into the movie, you're just like, oh fuck, like this is fucking serious. They're not just trying to, you know, make this an episodic. Da, 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 da. It's like they're gonna show you. The, the killer like what the killer did and you're <laughs> you're really fucked in that scene you have no no choice you know you're, you have to kind of endure it and those stabs those stabs are so brutal and so realistic you know we're we're very 
very adjusted to stuff like, you know, Halloween, Michael Myers, you know, slasher stuff where it's like, okay, I'm, I'm ready for this. But when it comes at you like that inside of a just brutal, brutal biopic, it, it's, it, it hits very different. And goddamn, I, I never really stopped thinking about that scene. It's just so dark. For me, man, it's, it's the scene where um, the, the woman and her baby are driving with the stranger. Oh. Jesus. And the guy just keeps making off-color remarks about how he's going to kill her. Yeah. And she she jumps. <laughs> and the whole time, like, it never makes it clear whether that really was the Zodiac or just some random psycho. Yeah. And that's the scariest thing about, you know, American true crime is how many fuckers there are out there who have done this shit. And the movie reminds you that it's not just the Zodiac out there. Like, there's boogeymen everywhere. And a lot of them were never caught. Yeah. That's, you know, we only learn about the ones who got, you know, who fucked up. The real, like the most successful serial killers are people we'll never know. Yeah. And that's, that's so, a frightening notion. So scary. Yeah. And Zodiac, it has that riddled throughout it. You know, God, good pick, dude. <laughs> uh, yeah. Obviously, we could talk about this one all day. Uh, Caleb, what's your number one? I can't wait to hear this because Saw, I thought, I thought it was going to be Saw. I love I love throwing people off. Uh, <laughs> my my number one um, it is one of the other two films I've spent my whole life telling people it's a fucking horror movie. Um, I don't have the same rigged system that Connor came up with for this particular pick. I could not help myself. I didn't have the self control like he did, and that is the Silence of the Lambs. Fuck yeah. I, I couldn't help myself. This movie just fires on all cylinders. Um, mm-hmm. From, I mean, Anthony Hopkins, who was only in the movie for, I think, was it 15 minutes or less? Yeah. 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 He leaves an impression. Um, Ted Levine, dear God, as Buffalo Bill. Holy fuck. I think that the scene when he is like dancing and it's like tucked, burned, is like forever burnt in my goddamn brain and the whole like would you fuck me i would fuck me like this is a film that kind of like the zodiac right it knows how to get under your skin with these serial killers and like really make you get into that serial killer like mindset and you kind of feel gross because of it because you're just like you're so in on it with them you know you're watching Ted Levine do this thing, Buffalo Bill do this thing that you almost feel like you're complicit. Like you're just like, am I like helping him by watching this movie? Like it's just, it's an icky feeling during those scenes. And it's, you know, all again, all anchored by tremendous performances across the board, tremendous direction. It absolutely deserved all the wins they got at the Oscars, in my opinion. Um, and, and it was a horror win at the Oscars, not a goddamn suspense win. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> Um, this, and then like, I uh, just, uh, I could, I really look forward to day. We actually really can dig into this film. Um, it'll happen. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, the whole night vision scene alone, when they accidentally go to the wrong house, I know we've seen it ad nauseum now, but not so much when it was coming out. Yeah. Um, it's just, this movie is brilliant. It is a fucking, it's a masterpiece is what it is. Yeah. Straight up. I agree. I agree. I had a hard time leaving this off. It was like, 
fuck, Sansa Lambs is is perfect. (laughs) Like you said, I think firing in all cylinders is the best way to put it. It's like a well-oiled machine just just doing what it does and still works, still works 30 years later. It's so rewatchable and so so fun you know while it's so dark it's just like oh yeah here we go here's this scene oh yeah here's this scene oh yeah oh fuck it just does it just stacks it on top of each other and it, it's it's epic all right i understand connor you wanting to leave that one out but uh guess what my number one is uh the other movie you left out the shining from 1980 <laughs> <laughs> I, I i couldn't i couldn't do it i'm the same as caleb i couldn't do it i couldn't deny i couldn't deny my my love for for a movie lambs is hard to keep out but shining no way no way no how uh just this is this is it this is the this is the pinnacle this is the peak of complete mind fuckery and does the same thing that lambs does where it's just like you can watch this over and over and over and over and over and over you'll find new stuff you'll find different things you'll find little bits of performances that are amazing but the shining i think it's it's uh the thing I like about it most is the, is kind of the lore behind it. You know, the documentaries made about it, the, the, obviously the, the Stephen King adaptation, uh, Stanley Kubrick being a just absolute freak of nature and wanting to change things. Cause he thinks his creative mind is better than other people's all that stuff. Jack Nicholson's performance, just crazy, crazy good. And, and the fact that it, critics and a lot of people just didn't like it when it came out. It's absolutely fascinating to me. And now it has this, you know, it has this reputation as being one of the best movies of all time. And I, I just, I, I totally agree. Now it's over 40 years old and just, just amazing to me. I just, the last time I watched it, the new thing that I noticed because I was kind of looking for it. Uh, and this is something I had heard before. I'm not sure if it's in that documentary or not. Uh, uh, room two, two, room 237, I think is the name of the documentary. Um Right? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I, I watched that like five, six years ago, I think. And uh, there's there's a bit, you know, at the beginning when uh, Jack Torrance, when Jack Nicholson is walking into the hotel with his family and they're getting that tour. Um, in that moment, you know, he he looks at a guy who's wearing a burgundy coat and like looks at him and like kind of nods at him. And then turns to the guy behind him and makes fun of his limp because the guy who in the burgundy coat, who's over like kind of adjusting stuff in a corner has a limp and Jack Nicholson kind of makes fun of it. And I was like, Oh, holy shit. Is this, Oh my God. I started to like figure out a lot of like why I love the shining is when he's sitting down and he's writing, you know, and he's trying to like, he's like losing his mind we see him without the burgundy coat and then we see him with the burgundy coat on uh jack jack nicholson himself but that's not jack torrance you know this is the character that's written on the pages i think and i think that's what people have interpreted over all these years is that in that moment jack torrance is no longer and now it's the now it's the caretaker and now the caretaker who's on the page that's why he has the limp when he's fucking holding the axe and he's like ah i think and I agree with a lot of the people who, who think this it's, it's Jack Torrance's idea of the caretaker that he already saw in the hotel, but he's lost his mind to where he's, he, it's like a, it's like a fusion of the two people. And it's so fucking cool that a movie can do that 
within seconds, just seconds of them walking to the hotel. I never noticed that, that he does that. He makes fun of the guy's limp until, you know, I was like, oh my God, like this movie truly fucks me every time I watch it. Every time I check it out, I'm like, oh my God, look at this new thing. Look at this new thing. Look how brilliant the direction is here. Look how crazy the production design is. I love, love, love The Shining. And I know you guys do too. I just, I, I could not leave it off. Any chance I get to talk about it, it's, it's like an absolute treat. I'm, I feel honored to even be able to watch it. It's that kind of a movie. Uh, I love Hereditary. I love The Thing. I love The Lighthouse. I love Rosemary's Baby. But The Shining, there's just no beating it when you're talking about psychological horror. All right. First off, I fucking love that little detail. I got to look for that next time I watch The Shining. So cool. Yeah. That. You'll notice it right away. I mean, Jack Nicholson does that little kind of like, you know, and kind of like looks back at the guy behind him and the guy doesn't even fucking react because Jack Nicholson's, he's so fucking good at acting. <laughs> That's amazing. Secondly, I think I felt comfortable leaving these two off because I knew, I think I knew deep down yeah. y'all were going to take care of it for me. Isn't that cool that Caleb had one and I had the other? Isn't that crazy? I was fucking, I, I couldn't <laughs> believe it. <laughs> That's Both fantastic. And you one. had Zodiac, you fucking bastard. <laughs> oh, man. So good. I, those number ones are perfect. The Shining, Sounds of Lambs, and Zodiac. It doesn't, it doesn't get much better than that. Beautiful. Beautiful. This was fun. My God. Uh, I, yeah. I love with that limp that they, um, in Dr. Sleep, going back to Mike Flanagan, how he, uh, oh, yeah, Flanagan. You and McGregor actually do the limp towards the end, just like Jack Nicholson. It was always something I really enjoyed watching in that movie. I need to rewatch Dr. Sleep. I haven't seen it since theaters. Same. So it's yeah. a great, I saw the three, I have the, the Blu ray with the three hour cut, and it's, it's fucking awesome. No, yeah, I, I liked it a lot. I just, I, with anything attached to The Shining, you're just like, oh my God, like, don't fuck it up. Don't fuck it up. Don't fuck it up. And I don't think they did that, but there's just no way to match. You know, it's just impossible. Like, God. Is that Kubrick's best movie, The Shining? Yeah. <laughs> you think yeah. so? You think I so? I do. Yeah. I think, I think. Dr. I love Strangelove's right behind it for me. Yeah, I was gonna say I love Clockwork, I love Strange Love, and I love I love Fomella Jacket. I think those four are probably my my four favorites of his. To me, his top three are The Shining, Doctor Strange Love, and Paths of Glory. Okay, that's fair. Totally fair. Oh, yeah. I would say Shining, Doctor Strange Love, and um, Clockwork. I love with Fomella Jacket. I love the boot camp sequences a lot. Oh, usually, hell yeah. People that, yeah, like when it gets to the Vietnam part, I'm not as on board. I don't think it's no. bad. It's just like compared to the brilliance of the boot camp sequence, it slightly lacks. I would fair. love to do a Kubrick, like worst to best ranking with you guys one day. Oh, man. Well, you know, I'm also a big Eyes Wide Shut fan. So. <laughs> <laughs> Kubrick's like that weird comfort food. Like I can't explain it, but just leave me alone. You know, let me let me enjoy this. <laughs> it's that dish that you love, but everyone else looks at you like, really? Yeah, that shit smells bad. And you're like, no, no, it tastes tastes really good. And it fucks you, have, you up. Fucks you, you up later on. The room. That's like you know he directed the moon landing, right? It's like okay, yeah, yeah. shut up, get out of there, get, get out of there. Awesome. <laughs> oh man. That was fun as hell, man. So uh, let's let's recap. Connor, go ahead and do your do your five. Okay. 
Uh, number five, The Lighthouse. Number four, Gerald's Game. Number three, The Witch. Number two, Split. Number one, Zodiac. Mm. Caleb, go ahead. Number five, The Perfection. Number four, Split. Number three, Seven. Number two, Saw. And number one, Silence of Lambs. Very nice. That's a strong list. Uh, I have five, uh, Rosemary's Baby, 1968. Number four, The Lighthouse, 2019. Number three, The Thing, 1982. Number two, Hereditary, 2018. And number one, The Shining. So I, I have uh, two 80s movies, two 2010s movies, and a, and a 60s. Try, tried, to, tried to go all over the board there. Surprised the 70s didn't come up like at all. Yeah, I... I just I tried to pick stuff that I knew I had strong feelings about. And uh, it just I didn't really stray outside the 2010s apart from Zodiac. It's uh, hmm. well, the 2010s, we could we could do just the 2010s, you know, and it, 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 there's some just masterful stuff, because I think now and I wonder what you guys think about this being y'all are much more uh, knowledgeable about the horror genre. I think that the 2010s. You know, I think we've talked about it where, you know, there's this boom of the torture porn stuff in the 2000s and jump scares out the wazoo and just trying to just just fucking get under your skin. But I think in the 2010s, there's been a there's been a, a, a changing of the guard where filmmakers are forced to like really, really make the audience think. And really, really try to make them uh react in a certain way the, the way the witch the way the witch does where it's just like is is this all a dream is this real did they even really move to america all these different things what is really going on you know this 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 family that's that's like essentially are they're just forced out of their their country right at the beginning or what i can't they're remember for, they're forced out of their uh the city small village and okay forced to live in the woods because dad won't pray to the right god or something okay that's what it is that's what it is you're right yeah, like that, 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 I, that idea or Midsommar, it's these young kids that go to Sweden and just start like taking a bunch of drugs. <laughs> you know, it's, they're really, these filmmakers are being forced to just be different and be, sometimes it doesn't work, you know? And I think, I think we've seen a lot of movies that have kind of parted horror fans where it's like, no, that's fucking bullshit. Like, I, like uh, a recent one is St. Maude. Like, I loved it, but I know a lot of horror fans were like, what the fuck was that? All you did was play with my mind. Yeah. I, I don't know about forced uh, because you've still got directors like James Wan and uh, Darren Lynn Boosman, like delivering, those, you know. Yeah. Those are big names though. I, th- I think like Ari Aster probably couldn't just do that. I think he had to kind of make a hereditary and a Midsommar. And I think Jordan Peele had to make a get out to not just be like, Oh, here comes another, another guy. James Wan is James Wan. He can do whatever the fuck he wants. But I, I, see what you, I see what you're saying, too. Uh, well, I think that, you know, this stuff comes in waves. Yeah. And right now, the big thing is psychological horror or, you know, dramas wearing a horror costume and making it into the party. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's the big thing right now. You know, in 10 years, it could be, you know, fucking monster movies could come back and we'd have like, you know, another Frankenstein boom or some shit. It could be vampires again in 10 years. Who knows? You know, I remember the slew of vampire movies from like 2008 on, and then yeah. that just kind of stopped. So this stuff comes in waves. There's a popular thing every few years, and there's a shit ton of. Remember how insanely huge zombies were for like three years? 
Where yeah. we got yeah. like Zombie Land yeah. and The Walking Dead and everything like that. It was all zombies. World War so, Z. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure, you know, in a few years, things will change. Yeah. Uh, I'd, I'd like a, some variety. I'm kind of over this. I, wow. <laughs> I want I want something else. Yeah, I feel yeah. I feel that. I mean, I I I I kind of this is kind of up my alley, you know. Movies, yeah. The all you know the A twenty four shit is like very much up my alley, and I, I like it a lot. But I understand it's not very. At this point, it's like it's like a hipster. It's like well, now there's a lot of you, and now none of you are being different because now you're all doing the same thing, and that's yeah. frustrating. That's frustrating as uh, I'm you know as a horror fan, you you want differences. But you, you, you pointed out, like, you still do have the big monster, like, It and It Chapter 2. You're still going to have those. But I'm kind of, you know, like, I'm tired of constantly having to eat the, like, deconstructed $50 Wagyu burger. Sometimes I just want to go to Whataburger and eat some shit. <laughs> like, just, yeah. just let me have some shit. Well, there you go. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, like, you know, being the horror fan as long as I have, you know, if you really, like, really look at like the history and like how it's gone it's like connor was saying right like it, it's waves you yeah know, when i was when we were kids you know and, and this is kind of like why i love films like saw and stuff you know 2003 marked the remake craze when texas chainsaw 03 came out and it just busted door open for remakes along with jay horror stuff that was coming out like crazy um and then like i said saw came out and next thing you know we start seeing more torture porn and we started seeing ways to push an audience to its limit on what they can tolerate an on-screen violence. Yeah, yeah. Big time. And the response to that, because people were kind of like, you know, you can only push it so far, was found footage with paranormal activity being a huge hit, and eventually the paranormal boon that we are still kind of going through it, The Conjuring. And again, you know, that, that became big. We got a lot of it. And then A24 came out the gate with The Witch. Yeah, now, it was a huge hit, and then next thing you know, we did get like as much as I hate to say it, I'm gonna do it air quotes, so and no one can see it. Elevated fucking horror. Yeah, elevated. Yeah, <laughs> it's still going strong apparently. But uh, you know, with that said, it's like you said, you know, it's at the same time, who knows? But we kind of know where this is going right now. If you kind of look at like what's been huge hits and what's been announced. You can tell what the next wave is. Um, Stephen King is obviously a part of the next big wave. I yeah. mean, more of his adapted work. The other one is, um, you know, if you pay attention to what's been announced, slashers. Slashers are making a humongous comeback thanks to Halloween 2018. I mean, we have. True. There's an Evil Dead. It is filmed. It's wrapped. It's coming out next year on HBO Max. We got a new Scream. We got two different fucking versions of Hellraiser. Yes. I mean, it, you know, Friday 13th finally got out of fucking court. So, you know, we might hopefully at some point hear stuff about that there's supposed to be a new texas chance i'm not sure who the fuck knows what netflix is doing with it right now yeah so it's like if you do pay attention you can kind of see where these waves are going and you know like you said like i do think like as much as i've been enjoying some of what a24 puts out i'm kind of with connor i'm kind of getting burnt out myself um it's interesting that the response is let's go back to old school stuff let's go back to simplistic what we know type of stuff is almost like the response to it, which I think is interesting. If it ain't yeah. broke, yeah. don't fix it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Very cool. I love, yeah, I love conversations like this, you know. It's cool to cool to be able to kind of explain your your not your side in it necessarily, but just just your perspective, you know, and your 
what you see going on. And it, it, I guess with all genres, you know, waves, that's just how it's always, always been, always going to be, you know, I think, I think horror and comedy are just the two that are easiest to pinpoint of like, look where this is going. Look what's happened. Look what can't happen anymore. And, you know, then people adjust to it. Uh, so I, I think you're right, Connor, that these directors weren't forced. They just adjusted to what's popular. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, watch doing the sneak preview this year and having to watch these movies pretty much like right when they come out has really kind of forced me to pay attention to like trends yeah. and where this is going. And that's been great. It's been nice to kind of have to have my finger on the pulse for the first time, really. And yeah. uh, I'm excited for the future. I am seeing like a lot of, you know, things are we're in transition right now from uh, a 24 horror dramas, elevated horror to a slasher resurgence and more of a kind of, you know, the fans of the, like the kids who saw it in the eighties growing up and getting to do their opportunity, like their chance mm. on some of their favorites. Like it's a nice, it's a nice thing to witness. Yeah, for sure, man. I love it. Ah, very cool. Very cool. That was, that was, a, that was a lot of fun. Uh, thank you for sticking with us th- through that, you know, doing top fives, you know, we're, we're all very passionate about the movies we like, so we can go on and on forever. Um, but, you know, we got to talk a little bit about whatever happened to baby Jane. <laughs> that, is, that is the, the, the movie of, of the, of the episode. So it's uh, like I mentioned at the top of the show, it was nominated five times at the 35th Academy Awards. It, it won one for best costume design. Uh, we can we can briefly go through those. Uh, Connor, I'll let you kind of take over. We can start with best sound, the most interesting and stupid, probably uh, category in Oscar history. Best sound, just all together. Not stupid. It's just stupidly named. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Best yeah. sound. Best sound design. There, I fixed it. <laughs> but anyway, um, we have Bon Voyage, The Music Man, That Touch of Mink. Whatever Happened to Baby Jane and the winner, Lawrence of Arabia, one of the most celebrated Oscar films in history. Yeah, um, yeah, won, won the big old best picture. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a good movie. Uh, yeah, I don't really, sound didn't really play a very big part in Baby Jane from what I saw. I don't really have much to say here. <laughs> no, I need, neither do I. These, yeah, doing, doing these categories, uh, we, we, we talked about this when, when we, oh, last, last week when we were doing Nomadland where it's like, oh, we've seen every movie inside these categories and it's just very easy to say, I like this one over that one. But with these, it's, it's very difficult because we haven't seen everything. And with a category like this, just like, uh, okay, that's yeah. sound, I, I guess, I guess cool. Lawrence of Arabia, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, sound, sound and uh, editing are like the two weirdest awards to me because like, I was talking to Josh about one day, he made a point like, at least with editing, like unless it's like, a stylistic choice to edit your film summary for you to notice things in your, the film you're making. Most of the time, you're not supposed to fucking notice it. Like, yeah, yeah. A good, a good movie, you won't really notice edits. I've noticed it when it's been a bad movie and I'm bored out my fucking eyes and I'm pinpointing things I hate. Then I've noticed it. But when I'm into the movie, it's like, no, I haven't, I haven't fucking noticed it. The same with sound. Like, unless I'm sitting trying to show off my my home theater design. I'm not noticing sound in a movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I totally feel that. Yeah. Yeah. Best cinematography, black and white. We have Birdman of Alcatraz by Burnett Guffey to kill a Fuck mockingbird. Yeah. I, 
I've not seen Birdman of Alcatraz yet. I, I know I'll love it. Yeah, of course you will. Yeah. <laughs> Bert, how could I not? Um, to Kill a Mockingbird, Russell Harlan. Two for the Seesaw, Ted D. McCord. Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, Ernest Haller. And the winner, The Longest Day, Jean Bourgeon and Walter Wattitz. <laughs> uh, yeah, The Longest Day. I get why that one. That movie was a sprawling epic that I enjoyed. I remember you you, you had issues with the uh, the horrible editing of that movie. Yeah, I did. I did not like this movie like at all. <laughs> yeah, no, just, I was a lot just, more forgiving with the John Wayne movies than you were. <laughs> yeah, they're not. They're not for me at all. And that's that's the main thing. And just he's just a monster, you know. So it's hard to. It's it's one thing when it's you know it's like like someone behind the camera, you know, like a like a Roman Plansky who's just you know obviously got tons of issues. Uh, but when he's like a star, you know, when John Wayne is like a an actor, a guy who you're going to see his face over and over, you just get angrier and angrier <laughs> as yeah. time goes. He, yeah, that was. I I don't think I'll ever go into his filmography again after doing that episode. It's just like I'm done. That's it. It's over. I don't ever need to check out any of his movies ever again. <laughs> Ouch. He's he's your Fellini. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you like Lestrada, right? Come on. I did like Lestrada, and I'm sure, like, you like like Liberty Valance, right? Yeah, that one's okay. Yeah, that one's okay. Yeah, yeah. Look, I'll I'll say this. I'll I'll back up Austin here. I I don't mind a lot of John Wayne westerns, but Eastwood did better ones with the spaghetti westerns. Way oh, better. In no way am I am I in Team John Wayne when it comes to westerns. <laughs> I'm 100 in the Clint Eastwood camp. Let me make that very clear. Yeah. <laughs> There were just I liked more of his movies than, than Austin did when we did that episode, for sure. Uh, yeah, but he I fell complete, asleep through a lot of them. Yeah, he, he's a total prick. <laughs> really long, and horrific shit about pretty much everybody who wasn't a rich white man, and he can go straight to hell, which he probably is where he is right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Glad we glad we got that out of the way. <laughs> um, are you are you glad? I'm very glad. I don't want anyone thinking that I'm like know enjoying the searchers over fucking good the bad and the ugly that needs to be i'm i'm john wayne at the first thanksgiving pilgrims (laughs) (laughs) yeah no that's not that's not connor (laughs) no connor does Um, not the trail of genghis khan good (laughs) Uh, what a disaster (laughs) we hey caleb when we launch our our new uh program coming in a few months we gotta do the conqueror (laughs) we gotta go through that thing again because what a i mean that movie got so many people killed yeah (laughs) yeah there's gonna be so many films that are gonna make me regret this upcoming show so much (laughs) you know what you're signing up for this ain't you know this ain't the best of the best this ain't the glamorous side of film this is this is the the gutter you can you can come you can come over here every now and again to do a to do whatever happened to Baby Jane and Rosemary's Baby. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all ever, did you ever watch the Fairly Odd Parents? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Do you remember the anti fairies? Yeah, of course. That's that's our sh- like what we got coming is the anti version of this show. Yeah, this is Cosmo and Wanda, and <laughs> that's yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good times. Oh yeah, Fairly Odd Parents is great. One of my favorite intro songs for any cartoon. Thought it was great. Chocolate shake. <laughs> he jumps into it. Great stuff. <laughs> this, 
this show is filmed in a nice, brightly lit room. The upcoming show will be filmed in a dark, danky dungeon. I don't even smoke, <laughs> but I'll just have a cigarette, like just calm my fucking shakes. <laughs> it's it's gonna be rough. <laughs> Stapler just to keep me sane. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right. A supporting actor. We have Victor Buono for whatever happened to Baby Jane. Telly Savalas for Birdman of Alcatraz. Omar Sharif for Lawrence of Arabia. Terrence Stamp for Billy Budd. And the winner, Ed Beagley for Sweet Bird of Youth. That is a hell of a group of people there. That's a great bunch. Yeah, the supporting actor category is always the one where you look at and you're like, fuck yeah, I want to see all five of these guys in a movie together. (laughs) I didn't know Blofeld was up for an Oscar. Telly Savalas. The worst Blofeld ever, but it's not his fault. Very yeah, very cool. And Terrence Stamp, man, early early on in his career, uh, as Billy Billy Bud. I got to see that movie. Yeah, I keep seeing about that. It's like a fucking pirate adventure. It's gonna be fun. Yeah, yeah, fuck yeah. Uh, best actress, we have Betty Davis for Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, Catherine Hepburn for A Long Day's Journey into Night, Geraldine Page for Sweet Bird of Youth. Lee Remick for Days of Wine and Roses and the winner and Bancroft for The Miracle Worker. Uh, the Miracle Worker is a film I've always wanted to see. I know it's a classic and Anne Bancroft and other actors I've not really tapped into much. I saw The Graduate, thought that was good. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure she earned that Oscar. Yeah, The Graduate is fucking great. That's a good way to just kind of introduce yourself to the late 60s stuff and mm-hmm. kind of check out check out you know, Mike Nichols and see what's changing in Hollywood. And that that's where, you know, Betty Davis is, is up, but Bancroft wins and she was not there. She's not in attendance. So that's when Joan Crawford is like, I'll do it. <laughs> God, I, I've never, I can't imagine spending that much energy and time into keeping a feud going. Just, I feel like they had so many opportunities to just say like, let's move on with our lives, but no, 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 no. They were both just just petty enough to constantly be in each other's business for so long. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> that rich and that famous. You have yeah. much more time on your hands than most people do. That's true. I feel like if I was worth more, I'd probably hate more people. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like uh, they say, you know, you can't. What is it? You can't. Oh, I, I think it's the actually the social network. It's like the tag. It's like you can't get all these followers without making a few enemies. You know, it's like, that's just, yeah. that's just, that's just how it's going to be. Yeah. I'm too, I, I don't have enough time to hate people. <laughs> I just yeah. don't have enough time to, to keep that going. I just don't. I don't have enough time to play my growing stack of video games. I don't have enough time to put effort into hating someone. Yeah. Friendship's yeah. easy. Enemies. You, you got to maintain that shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Friendships you can come and go, man. Just pick back up where you were. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like you know, Caleb, when you were you know away on your thing, or I don't know how much we're allowed to say. <laughs> when I was away on my deployment, you can say there that. It is. Okay. Like we didn't talk for like years, and then when we did, boom, <laughs> there it is. But like. It's just it's just easier to maintain friendships. Like we could not talk for years and then start talking, and it's like nothing ever happened. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I wasn't away for eleven months or anything. <laughs> oh. uh, finally, the one win Baby Jane got: best costume design, black and white. 
We've got Days of Wine and Roses, The Man Who Shot Liberty Balance. Fuck yeah, I love that movie. The Miracle Worker, Phaedra, and the winner, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Um, well, costume design, I guess. I mean, it's just dresses, really. I, yeah, I don't look when I think costume design. Admittedly, this is when I do think of like I know I make fun of it all the time, but your Oscar bait period pieces, I love to mock. Usually, that's what I expect. Like you have a very ornate costume yeah. design happening. Not it's a movie where it happens in life, and you're wearing something that someone in the audience watching your movie is probably fucking wearing anyway. I say give this to Liberty Valance. I mean, that movie had legit, you know, decent costume design. And I, I happen to have a great affinity for that movie. Wait, are you, are you going to spend this whole episode just constantly defending Liberty Valance? Like, it's a good movie. You, you like it? Yeah, it's it's good because it's got James Stewart, you know, and it's got a uh, fucking Lee Marvin. So, you know, it's got it's got good stuff going for it. But I don't know. It's fine. <laughs> I'm just I love I love Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> I just, I'm just going to sit here and just like watch this whole Liberty Balancing explode by the end of the episode. Yeah. Bigger, and then I'm just here going, oh, this guy interesting. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that is, those are the Oscars for Baby Jane. Uh, didn't quite make it into Best Picture, although it is an interesting bunch of films there. Um, you know, all four, all five of these are, considered masterpieces i've seen three of them uh lawrence of arabia the longest day the music man mutiny on the bounty and to kill a mockingbird mutiny on the bounty is my favorite of the ones i've seen i've seen i've seen four of these i haven't seen meredith wilson's the music man mutiny on the bounty oof let's fucking go i haven't seen mutiny on the bounty or to kill a mockingbird which yeah oh you've seen meredith wilson's I've seen the music man. I I had to watch that in music class in sixth or seventh grade over the course of like two weeks because it's long as shit. And um, it's actually quite a a charming movie. Good, good. Yeah, Lawrence Arabia is is awesome. Yeah, Muni. Muni. I love Muni on the Bounty. It's a cool movie. No, I'm going to love that movie. I just have to sit down and watch it. I own that one. Uh, I've had that one for some some time. I don't know if it's on something, but you you can borrow it whenever you want, man. I have the 30s one with Clark Gable. I own that one. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that makes sense. I've seen zero of these movies. We know. And the last couple of films I got was a Toxic Avenger Blu-ray set and neither or not neither Demons One and Two on 4K. (laughs) I I bought today the Criterion collection of the Royal Tenenbaums and a double feature of My Blue Heaven and the Man with Two Brains. So Let's you know. go. It was six bucks. I'm not going to say no. Ten and bombs. That's a yeah. good pickup. Yeah. I'm on a criterion hunt now. I'm trying to get like a, like a nice criterion collection of my own. I've got about nine so far. Yeah. I only have like, I don't know, 20 maybe. I want a lot more. Yeah. I want, I want but them I'm, all. But I'm not paying like Barnes and Noble prices. I'm paying half price. No. prices. Yeah, me too. Me too. Or if or if the actual website has like a big sale where it's like 50% off. Yeah. Then then I'll budge. But yeah, like at Barnes and Noble, I saw uh, the uh I think you know Arrow makes really fucking cool cases as well. Uh mm-hmm. I think them and Criterion are the best within like the artwork. Uh I saw a Dune, the 1984 Dune uh, Arrow edition. It was like 
$45.99. And I'm like, okay. I mean, I didn't, I came to Barnes and Noble to find some deals, not, not fucking, you know, cut my fucking toes off for a fucking movie, you know? Jesus. So, and this is, this is the 84 Dune? Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I, which is not good, but it's, it's so fucking weird and bonkers that like, you know, I, I would love, I would love to own it one day. It's Was in the Criterion Air? Collection? No, no Arrow. 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 I've, uh, I've, uh, seen the, I've seen the release on the Arrow site. They put a lot of stuff into it. Yeah, I figured. The case is fucking bonkers. It looks so cool. It has the sandworms, you know, up on it and stuff. And yeah, I, I, I wanted to get it, but just that's too much for a movie that I don't really like that much. Oh, so yeah, I, I own uh, two Arrow releases. Uh, actually, two Russ Craven, Russ Craven movies. Uh, Last House on the Left. And nice. And they come nice. back like Last House. Their their edition of that movie has like a booklet, a poster, um, three different cuts of the film, the soundtrack. Like they it came loaded. In regards oh, yeah. to in regards to Dune, honestly, like if you know you you can sh- you can shine a piece of shit up as much as you want, put it in a really nice box, it's still a piece of shit. You know, people love that dune, and I kind of want I, that. Well, I I don't care for it. I know. <laughs> I, I I I know you don't. Yeah, it's it's just it's silly. It's really silly and very eighties. But I, I yeah, I understand both sides to that one for sure. I like the new one. Okay, let's. let's I do, also know. Let's finish this off. <laughs> yeah yeah let's do let's do let's do our awards uh we have the tarantino for best quote of the movie we have the ennio morricone for best music moment we have the philip Seymour hoffman for the best performance of the movie and then we have the roger deakins award for the best scene of the movie so uh connor why don't you start us off uh then we can go caleb and then i'll finish us okay i have two quotes uh, the first one is it just made me laugh it's when um Baby Jane goes to the bank and and like tries to deposit some money or something, and she's like, "You recognize me, right? I'm, I'm Baby Jane Hudson." And they're like, "Oh, cool, okay." And she's like, "See ya." And as she's walking out, that one guy's just like, "Who the hell is Baby Jane Hudson?" Yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah, Maybe I love that line. Yeah, because I hate people who pull the "Do you know who I am?" card, and I love for it to backfire. Just be like, "No, we don't." Who are you? <laughs> Not all of us pay attention to media, so no. Yeah. <laughs> Not all of us were big vaudeville people thirty years ago. Yeah. Hudson. <laughs> Baby um, fucking Jane. Ugh. And then my other one is at the end when Blanche is confessing that she's the one who tried to kill Jane, and Jane instead of being like you crazy bitch was like you mean all this time we could have been friends and i'm like this is such a twisted fucking relationship (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's your reaction to like oh you tried to kill me me too oh sister (laughs) well see what i think i love about that line dialogue and that whole scene is that that is when uh baby jane is not on planet earth anymore she's mentally snapped and yeah like that being that her that being her response shows you that she is so far fucking gone now. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, it's, yeah, it's like that should not be your response to your sister. I mean, that she attempted to run you over. 
<laughs> yep, the letter to daddy has been mailed and it ain't returning to sender. <laughs> Christ. Yeah, good pick. I almost I almost put that one down. Your second one is just perfect. Sums up the movie great. <laughs> These twi- twisted fucks. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. Caleb, what's your uh, Tarantino? All right. I actually also have two quotes. Um, the first one was a, it's like a little throwaway line, but like as the movie plays out, it to me has like really weird implications. Um, and that's when she, uh, Blanche is talking to the housekeeper towards the beginning of the film. And um, her line is, we're sisters, uh, Elvira. We know each other very well. It's, yeah. yeah. It's a little throwaway line at the time, but as the movie progresses, it just implies so much fucking more. Yep. That when you hear it again, you're like, oh, oh, oh. It's like a, a light bulb moment. It really is, yeah. I, I Obviously, this is my first time seeing it, but I when I was, I was looking at some quotes on IMDb and I was just like, Oh yeah. And I saw that one. I was like, Oh fuck. That was, that was a, yeah, that was, that was foreshadowing. <laughs> that was cool. Um, and then the second one leads to a pretty horrific scene in my opinion. Cause I would, I would have the same reaction that Blanche did. And that's when she hands her a dish. Oh, before yeah. she leaves the room, she feels the need to say, you know, you get rats in the cellar. And Ugh. then you like, <laughs> right on her dish. <laughs> <laughs> disgusting. It's, it's so disgusting. And the way she delivers it, she meant it as this, this sick, dark joke. Yeah. And the punchline was, there's a fucking rat for your dinner. <laughs> like, yeah. like oh. My favorite bit of that is her cackling like a you know, prankster outside the room when she hears Blanche scream. <laughs> uh, like, ah, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, those those are good picks. Yeah, that scene is is that that's one of the, I think the scenes that makes it kind of a horror film is like, oh, that's scarier than jump scares. This rat that is on her plate <laughs> for dinner. Oh, uh, your din din, you fuck. Uh, <laughs> I chose I chose kind of a run a, a run of dialogue because I liked it a lot. I immediately when I when I was it was more towards the be or, or it's earlier in the film and I I just responded to it right away and it's neither of our main characters but instead it's the neighbors it's the the Bates it's Mrs Bates and Liza Bates talking to each other and they're they're watching their television Liza Bates says gee, she must be about 150 by now. Mrs. Bates says, as a matter of fact, dear, I think Blanche Hudson is just a few years older than I am. Liza Bates says, really? And then Mrs. Bates, yes, dear, really. And then Liza says, well, how come we never see her around here? We've been living next door to them for six months now, and the only one I ever see is that fat sister slouching around. (laughs) Don't they ever have company? I mean, it must be awful. You know, Julie says that sister is kind of peculiar. Did you ever notice that? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, i love i love neighbors that are just uh just a bit clueless <laughs> they don't have any idea of what's 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 really going on and they're you know we're, we're watching this movie from our from our couches uh 60 years later and here's these neighbors who are you know yards away from what's from what's really happening inside that house and they have no idea it's one of my favorite things about horror is the 
people that just don't really know what's going on. Yeah. The neighbors are kind of our normal people, Her, you know, them and Elvira who get to see this relationship from the outside and everyone's just like, they want to say how fucked up this is, but they're in no position to do anything about it. So they're like, better just keep the peace. And that comes back to haunt, especially Elvira. <laughs> oh, yeah. Her curiosity destroys her. Yeah. That's why you never, never go into these situations. Just stay out of it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But at the same time, when <clears throat> the paralyzed sister is being like openly abused by a crazy person, it's hard to just stand by and not want to help them. Okay. Then don't step into the room without looking behind you. No, the big the big one is don't put the fucking hammer down next to the psycho who doesn't want yeah. you to find out about what's behind that door. A lot of ways that could have been handled. I would have immediately subdued the psycho personally. I would have, I would have been like, okay, I see what's happening here. I want to subdue you and call the cops. Citizen's arrest. <laughs> Just go, <laughs> go full Ray Peterson on this thing. Just I am making a citizen's arrest. <laughs> anyway. Oh, um, ties. <laughs> uh, so it's my Morricone, right? Yes, correct. Okay, this was tough. Um, there's there's some decent mo- music moments in this film, but overall, I didn't think the score was particularly, you know, iconic or like memorable. So I picked a uh, a song moment specifically because of how fucking horrendous it is, and it's um Mr. Flag's audition where Jane does her rendition of a letter to daddy as a grown woman. And it is unbelievably cringy and just shows you how fucking deluded she is about her talent. And it was just like the whole time I'm looking at her, like you insane person, like let it go. Like come to terms with the fact that you're, you know, in your sixties and you, you can't sing. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Great pick. I, I definitely thought about that one too. This is, this is a tough one. You're right. The Morricone is not easy to give out here, even though it's about a singer dancer. Yeah. That's, that's kind of ironic, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's actually because it's not easy that I also picked this song, but not this scene that it's in. I picked the beginning scene when she does sing it as a child because what I like about it, what I like about that beginning one is that it's really kind of like nothing at first until there's that scene later in the movie when it starts playing in her head and she tries singing and she has that mental breakdown because mm. she can't do it. And so for me, that's why I did the, the beginning one because it becomes such a horror. It's an innocent moment to show her child stardom that is used to horrific effect later in the movie insightful yeah i like that i like that a lot it's that i love when that happens in in a movie where the power power of a score or soundtrack can like can come back around back around for for much more meaning that's a good pick i didn't really think about that i my morricone goes to the moment when uh it's at the very end of the movie when jane is dancing with people circled around her and it didn't matter what was playing right there. She's just like, oh, people watching me and I get to dance. I get to dance in front of them. You know, it's like, this is me fulfilling my purpose. Just people. I just need eyes. I need eyes on me. And I love how you can 
faintly hear in the crowd people just like is she some lunatic or something <laughs> it's just they're just like what's wrong with her <laughs> she's crazy and she's just happy as can be and then you have the the end you know and you're like oh jesus <laughs> that was a dark movie <laughs> and i i love when that happens i love when there's some some kind of stick to the landing and i i like the i like the ending on this movie i would have loved if there had been just one person who was like oh my god it's baby jane hudson yeah yeah <laughs> holy shit like one crazy person with like a baby jane 1918 t-shirt or something like that yeah it's got the tour on the back it's got, she's like got all the, the cities pig- she's got the pigtails like it's all she cares about and she's like oh my god it's her <laughs> i never thought so this day long. would come yeah Oh man, that's great. <laughs> oh boy. Um, so this next one I think is going to be very, very interesting. Uh, who won this movie? Yeah, what's the PSH? The best performance of the movie. Who do you got? Mm. Uh, so I think this is going to be pretty. You know, I mean, it's 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 Joan versus Betty, obviously. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. Mines will be drawn today. Yes, yes, they will. Yeah. And I think because I wasn't expecting her to be as subdued, I went with Joan Crawford. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> well, to be fair, I did kind of tell you that earlier today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. When when I saw you, I yeah, I had a feeling. Yeah, I kind of yeah. let it slip. I didn't as I was saying, I'm like, I'm like, I probably should be telling this. <laughs> It's fine. It's fine. It's one or the. It's one or the other. You know. It's yeah. a. It's a. It's a toy, coin flip. And this was my first time with both of these actresses. And Betty Davis is lights out. She's fucking crazy. But I had all. I'd heard my whole life that Joan Crawford was a fucking lunatic. So to see her play somebody who's very well balanced <laughs> was kind of a shock to me. Mm. So I was very much like you know rooting for Blanche like yeah like come on fighter like you can do this and at the end when she's like I tried to kill you and I'm like oh okay they're both fucking nuts just at different degrees <laughs> so yeah yeah I went with Joan totally fair Caleb yeah. who do you got who do, who, who do you have in this race oh man all right well me being me and being a sucker for over the top zany performances it looks like we won't need a tiebreaker in you, Austin, because I went with Betty Davis. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Joan Crawford is brilliant in this movie. And I had, like, I've heard the crazy stories. I've seen Mommy Dearest with the fucking coat hangers. Like, yeah. I, I'm aware of, like, Joan Crawford's legend. And it is impressive that with that, she plays such a subdued character. Um, But God, Betty Davis just, it's like she's going for broke. It's yeah, like she's trying to prove something she doesn't have to. She's Betty Davis at this point. Yeah, but she is anyway, and she just goes all in from like we were talking about the delusion of grandeur she has throughout this movie, her sadistic streak towards her sister, and the just complete loss of who she is by the end of the movie. It's a it's a fucking roller coaster of a performance, and sh- she aces every single part of it. Yeah, I just, I didn't, you know, I, I agree with you. She's great. It just, to me, it's not much of a stretch for Betty Davis to play a bitterly jealous, constantly upstaging diva who really hates the other woman in the house. 
Yeah. The yeah. House, he apparently really hits coat hangers. I'll never let that die for mommy dearest. God damn it. <laughs> I got to see that movie. I've heard about the no wire hangers bit. I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't know any context, but no, I've heard I, that bit. I watched it with this movie because I've heard about those two films all my life. I think TCM was showing them finally. And that's how I saw both these movies. And I fell in love with both. Both are wonderful fucking films. That would have been a good idea. Yeah, I should have done that. <laughs> Neo. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's, <clears throat> dare I say, one of the best uh Best non-supernatural, non—you know—very, very human. One of the best villains I've ever seen is, is Betty Davis in this movie, as Baby Jane Hudson. Just like what the fuck? And I agree with you, Connor. I think Joan Crawford is probably, especially people our age who are trying to go back and watch old stuff. It's more shocking what she's doing in it. Like, oh wow, that—that's Joan Crawford, but but she seems like you said, balanced in this movie until the end. Betty Davis is just, uh, is like what Caleb said, going for broke. She's just swinging for the fences every single scene. And it pretty much works every time. Uh, I was reading that some of the stuff she says is, is, is just, just her just improvise, you know, improvising, you know, like I didn't get you breakfast because you didn't eat din din, you know, shit like that. Just like, what the fuck was that? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I I fell in love with, with her performance in this movie. Just scary, scary. The makeup, her hair, how unkempt she seems at all times, how disorganized everything is, while at the same time she's like, I know every little thing that's happening in this house. Just just a masterclass. They're both so good. It's a it is it is like watching two like incredible tennis players just bam, bam, back and forth, back and forth, just rallying and I, that's my that's one of my favorite things in movies is watching two people and it's known it's known between them two it's known between the director between the audience that these two people are literally going toe to toe and I, I love that about it. it's like a boxing match and i had a lot i had a lot of fun i'm gonna buy this movie i'm gonna definitely gonna own it it's just just a lot of fun and she's a big reason why you know is is just her kind of unpredictable ridiculous range in this movie so uh, i'm i'm very intrigued by both these actresses and kind of checking out some of the older stuff yeah i'm right there with you uh cool so all right the deacons the deacons the deacons i'm, I'm excited for this this has some great scenes uh mine is the first real in my opinion the first real venture into horror and that's when Jane kills Elvira. <laughs> Oof. Uh, because it's, you don't see it coming until she puts down the hammer. And then you're like, oh no. Like, as soon as I saw the hammer on its own, I had this, I, I, I verbally went, no. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, just Jane with this look in her eyes of like, I'm sorry you had to be here to see this. And then just whack right, right in the fucking head. And then she goes and hides the body. Like, wow, like this is a different movie now. <laughs> and I was just I was stunned at how brutal that was, even by 1962 standards. Mm. Of just the one character in this movie who's trying to do the right thing gets fucked. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. She's just like a, she's just like a good Samaritan and her curiosity. Yeah. Just gets her just annihilated. It's 
very sad. She's a good character. Good performance from Mady Norman, but good God, just, yeah, one of the better, more compelling scenes too of the movie where you're just like, whoa, like that was a masterclass in showing the hammer for a split second. Then, like you said, just kind of the less you see, the better, you know, the more scary it is. So great stuff. Oh, yeah. Caleb, your deacons, what do you got? So for mine, it's, uh, I went with the, the end scene, the whole entire beat sequence at the end. Because for me, watching it, you don't realize it until you're getting to it, but this is what they've been building up to. This is what the film's been building up to. This yep. is the thing you're getting. Because there's no way in hell to everything you watch, this can be Hollywood a happy ending. There's no fucking way. So this is what you get. You get an ending where you have baby Jane finally fully lost and her, you know, wants to stay famous and relevant, which, you know, could be, you know, very relevant in a way to a lot of today's celebrities in some cases, um, that she's, she's just no longer there. She's no longer on planet Earth. She's no longer aware of what's going on around her. She just cannot let it go. And then Blanche, she was dying. And like you said, admitting to be essentially just as crazy, like trying to murder her sister. And on the beach, and I think to me, one of the most tense moments, I'll never forget, and especially watching the second time, was when the cops were asking Baby Jane, hey, where, where's your sister? We got, where is your sister? And she's not answering. And all you're saying there, I remember watching going, just stop asking her where the fuck her sister is and go look for her. Just she's on the beach. Go, she's right there. Stop. Yeah. It's like it's one of those statistics. I'm like, stop. Just go fucking find her. You're not going to get a goddamn answer. She's right there. It's, and you know, luckily they find her. But what I like about the film, in that scene, it does not ever clarify if they found her in time. You know, she was right there. What was she found time? Did they find her? She's now dead. Like, maybe it doesn't give you that answer. It just goes the end. See yeah, yeah, that's it. Just wraps it up in a bow, even if it's not pretty. Yeah, love it. I I think my favorite little bit from the ending that I, I rewound, I rewound it, and I was like, oh, let me hear that again. Is when the cops are sitting at that ice cream stand, and uh, I think his name is Ernie, the guy who's serving ice cream, and then one of the patrons is like, "How do you figure?" And the Ernie goes, "Cops? How do you figure cops?" <laughs> Like, fucking a man like caleb's saying like just go do your goddamn job <laughs> like stop asking fucking locals for to for tips you fucking idiots <laughs> such it, a good scene it made me laugh when jane didn't pay for the ice cream like she was just you know expected like oh i'm baby jane hudson i'll get free ice cream <laughs> yeah she was just like, thank you, and just walked away. And he's like, hey, that's 40 cents. And she's like, thank you. And just keeps going. That made Ridiculous. Ah, <laughs> oh, so good. I love it. I both of those scenes, I think, are are fantastic and and both both very essential to the movie. I, I picked one that maybe like someone who hasn't seen it in a long time might might forget, but I was I was I was wowed by it. It's like a uh, little over an hour into the movie uh, and it's when mm, hour, hour and a half, I'm not sure. Can't remember exactly when it happens, but it's when Blanche is on the phone with uh, Dr. Shelby and 
uh, Jane can kind of hear her, you know, through like through the other side of the door. And Blanche doesn't know yet that she's like paying attention to everything that's happening. Yet. Blanche is like talking to the, to the doctor. Yeah, she's emotionally disturbed, you know. And and like when when baby Jane when Jane comes in and she's just fucking she just takes over, you know. She's like, oh, I have to go into like survival mode here to keep my lifestyle up. She's like, you know, fakes like fakes to Doctor Shelby. No, like she's gone to a different doctor. No, no, there's nothing we can do about that to get the doctor, you know, off the hook. And then she just starts fucking wailing on her sister, like kicking her and punching her, fucking calling her names. I was frightened by that scene. I was like, holy shit, Betty Davis. Like you really wanted to beat the shit out of Joan Crawford. Oh my God. And it's crazy. Cause that's, you know, it's it, with the ending, that whole scene changes, you know, it's like, what is Blanche really doing there? Is Blanche really trying to get out of there? Is she trying to, does she know that, Jane is everywhere that she has eyes in the back of her head. She sees everything and hears everything. It's just, it's a, it's a movie I want to rewatch for those reasons, you know, just to kind of gain more stuff on the perspective of the two main characters. I love that scene. I thought it was really well done. I love Dr. Shelby just kind of like, huh? Well, I think I need to come there to, to get more information. You know, he's just a typical, typical, you know, American doctor in the 50s, 60s, you know, who's just like, what? Who? Hey, okay. <laughs> and he's, he, you know, he wants to go check it out. But then when he's told that she's gone to a different doctor, he's like, okay, not my problem. <laughs> I love that. Love that about it. I thought it was so quick and, and scary and weird. And I, I love, I love phone conversations. Uh, when we talked about Rosemary's baby, one of my favorite scenes in that movie is when she's on the phone with the, with the, with the doctor and he's like, this bitch is crazy. <laughs> it's like no she's not no she's not she's all of it's true i love scenes like that very cool use of use of the telephone you know where now you know these kinds of scenes just aren't as impressive because everybody has a phone everybody has an iphone at all times uh blanche has to make a serious effort to get to this phone you know she's in a wheelchair and the phone gets disconnected and it's downstairs and she's like fuck you know i have to isn't that crazy that she's so trapped in this house that like literally a lifeline is like what she has to get to a telephone line. It's really crazy. Cause she can't just get on Twitter like everybody else would. It's cool. I love that about old movies. Yeah, for sure. This is a film that couldn't really exist today for multiple reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I love how easy it is to con- for chain to convince people not to come check on Blanche. Like it's crazy. It's like nobody wants to, and they're just waiting for somebody to give them an out. It's it's fucking crazy, especially the doctor who is such a terrible doctor. Just like, well, you know, women are clearly insane, not my problem. Yeah. So I'm gonna yeah, just yeah. Off. Like <laughs> that's movie doctors from the fifties and sixties. They're all like, like that. Sounds like something bad's happened there. No, well, I'm gonna go off. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds this good. didn't sound right. Her, that's weird. Blanche calling me back sounded a lot like Jane, but that's not my problem. I'm not her doctor anymore. <laughs> she says she's a doctor. I'm off the hook. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Time is at three, and I'll be damned if I'm missing it again. <laughs> it's it's really ridiculous, but yeah, it's a great scene that really shows how far Jane is willing to go to keep up this facade. Yeah, it's really fucked. And then just beating the shit out of her. Like, you know that she tried her best not to fake that. Control. Yeah. Yeah. No. Like, yeah. Eddie Davis was like, I'm getting in at least two good, two good kicks here. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm going to hit her ribs right here with this <laughs> this roundhouse kick. Yeah, <laughs> fucking I bet crazy. That she was not gonna do the movie until she came to that part in the script and was like, "I get to, I get to beat her up." Okay, I'll do it. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> Sign me up. Uh, so I, good. Know, I actually, uh, I have the scene right now as my like my other option for best scene because since this, I had seen the movie so long, I was one of those. I was like, I forgot about this moment. And when it came, even I was like, Jesus fucking Christ, this is a movie from 1962. What is going on here? <laughs> <laughs> she hells on her. I was like, wow. You want to calm down there a bit? Yeah. I'm just, she, I'm just picturing the director being like, okay, cut. No, no, Betty, cut. <laughs> Betty, <laughs> Betty, stop, cut. It's like uh, it's like in that SNL with Chris Farley. When they're like, "Sir, are you aware that you're drinking decaffeinated Colombian crystals?" What? <laughs> what? <laughs> you lied to me. <laughs> oh man, I love it. <laughs> That's one of my favorite sketches of all time. It's so simple. <laughs> you no good son of a bitch. <laughs> uh. Oh boy. This was good. This was a good one. Yeah, yeah, always. Yeah, when we do these top fives and drafts and shit, we just can't help ourselves. It's just so much fun <laughs> talking about movies. So much fun. Uh, but next week, come on back with us. We're going to be talking about Up in the Air from 2009. It's uh, paying some respect to Jason Reitman, whose Ghostbusters comes out next weekend. We'll be talking about Ghostbusters, like the fucking 80s one from, uh, on Filmgasm. And then next Oscar Sunday is up in the air. And then sneak preview is the new Ghostbusters. So it's going to be going to be a lot of fun. Can't wait. Yeah. Reitman week next week. Yeah. Uh, that, isn't that crazy? We haven't done like Kubrick week or you know, well, there's plenty of people we haven't. We haven't. But Reitman's getting his fucking getting his honor. To be fair, Stan doesn't exactly have new stuff coming out. <laughs> yes, Stan. Here looks a real bit hard there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Stan. We can, at least, we can get two out of three out of Kubrick, but not going to be a hat trick. It's not happening. No, no, it can't. It, it, it quite frankly cannot happen. Uh, it can happen with a lot of lot of a uh, lot of legends. You know, I would love to do you know a full on Scorsese week, a full on Spielberg week. You know, guys who are still with us that are living legends. Well, next year we will definitely have opportunity for Scorsese, and I'm sure I doubt Spielberg's done after West Side Story. Yeah, no way. He has his very self-indulgent autobiography movie he's doing. Oh, yeah. Let's not forget that, boys. <laughs> well, uh, good stuff coming. This uh, tomorrow's sneak preview, uh, might as well announce it now. We are not really going to be talking that much about the films of this past weekend because it's not a really good variety, not worth you know discussion. So what we're going to be doing is a in honor of the new home alone that nobody's watching. Uh, we're going to be talking about, we're going to do our own individual top tens of what we believe to be the worst remakes that we have seen. So it's going to be fun. Beautiful. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, oh, I give uh, baby Jane an eight, by the way. That's a nine for me. Love. Yeah. Really, really, really like this movie. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to second that nine. Um, I just I fell in love with this movie when I first started. I still love it. It's it to me lays a lot of groundwork for what we have now with psychological horror films. Yep. It's all here. Um 
And except, yeah, like I said, it does, it has the balls to me to play with tone a lot to actually make you, like you were kind of saying at the beginning of this episode, question if it's even a horror, if it's even a horror movie at times. Mm, it has yeah. that kind of, that the balls, if you will, the confidence to do that. And yeah, it's just, this is a wonderful film. Yeah. That, I do think that, yeah, if anybody's got balls, it's Betty Davis. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Uh, yeah. Well, this was, this was a blast. I love doing these top fives. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Hope you stuck it through to the end and we will see you next week for a Jason Reitman dramedy. <laughs> Beautiful. Peace out.